fault lines. Let's get ready to rumble. From the divided states of America, sitting atop the transmission Tower of Truth, taking down hypocrisy one lie at a time. In your ladies' corner, my trolls call me Moscow Mary, but I'm your journalist extraordinaire and pierogi princess, Farron Franzak. And in the left corner, I'm your indefatigable, your ever-vigilant, your burning ember in the darkness, your political analyst, Jamal Thomas. Which means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Franzak. What's happened, Franzak? Oh, you know, Jamarl, for the first time since Sunday, listened to Will Smith's Academy Awards acceptance speech. And he's like, we've got to play it. We've got to play it. I'm like, everyone and their mother has heard this speech nine times now. That speech is shocking. That speech is shocking. <laughs> Welcome to pop culture. I, 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 look, I don't listen. I don't, under normal circumstances, when I watch TV, it's something very specific. Like I'm doing Netflix or Amazon or something like that. So I miss these award shows and I miss this type of stuff and I don't necessarily indulge all that much in hearing it. Uh However, However. that speech, after slapping a guy like a few minutes earlier and come in and saying stuff like, I am here to be a vessel for peace. What? No, a vessel for love. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. A vessel for love. love. And he is here to protect, to protect women. That was his other thing, too. Especially famous women. Mm-hmm. That's astonishing speech. You just slap the guy and then gets up there and cries in the audience. Lemmings that they are. <laughs> Bravo! Bravo! Yeah, Jamarl, you're getting it. You're, you're catching up with pop culture. That's you're astonishing. That, that, like, <laughs> like the, the level, whatever it is in your head that allows you to stand up there and do that and say that after just assaulting a guy on live television. Wow. Wow. Welcome to, welcome. You, you're all caught up now. Wow. Now you just got to watch Tiger King. <laughs> right. Yeah. I am going to watch Tiger King. Yeah. Are we live on Rumble yet? What's going on over there? Are we live on Rumble yet? People, are we? I'm being told that we are. We are. See, you know, this is why Rumble, you need to get your stuff together. Okay. Up your game, Rumble. Yeah, we're live, but I don't see us live, and that's the thing is Rumble. I see us. You got to. Rubles or else. Russia paper decline. Um, deadline for gas arrives today. Let's see. Let's see if it's tweeted out yet. There hey, it is. Hey, us some Rubles. Rubles. There we go. We've got a good 23 in the chat. I'm going to read some headlines, then go we have it. a special treat immediately following headlines Uh-oh. that I think Jamaral is going to like. And it'll also treat. keep catching him up on pop culture. <laughs> like, we got to bring him in. Yeah. Bring him in. Come on, Jamaral. This way. <laughs> Come on. Here we go. All right. Here we go. All right. So starting with your COVID headlines, we got nothing. In your national news, U.S. job growth likely continued at a brisk clip in March, with the unemployment rate falling to a new two-year low of 3.7%. And wages reaccelerating, which would position the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates by a hefty 50 basis points in May. The Fed last month raised its policy interest rate by 25 base points, the first hike in more than three years. Policymakers have been re- ratcheting up their hawkish rhetoric, with Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying the U.S. Central Bank must move expeditiously to hike rates and possibly more aggressively keep high inflation from becoming entrenched. 
Americans will be allowed to choose an ex-gender on their passport applications and select their sex on social security cards, the Biden administration said on Thursday, in announcing measures to support transgender Americans against a wave of status of state laws targeting them. This is going to target them even more. Whatever. <laughs> the changes were among several measures announced by the Biden administration to mark a transgender day of visibility, a day after the Republican governors of Oklahoma and Arizona signed bills banning transgender athletes from girls' sports and schools. Yeah, they they don't want to target them, but you're going to make them write an X. Jesus. In your international news, Russian gas is still flowing to Europe despite a deadline set by President Vladimir Putin to cut it off unless customers start paying in rubles, Moscow's strongest threat to retaliation for sanctions imposed over its invasion of Ukraine. Negotiations aimed at ending the war were set to resume by video link with Ukrainian forces making more advances on the ground in a counterattack that has repelled the Russians from Kiev and broken the sieges of some cities in the north and east. Western sanctions imposed over the war have cut off Russia from much of the world trade, but exceptions have been carved out for oil and gas. In your tech news, Washington Governor Jay Inslee on Thursday signed into law a minimum pay standard for Uber and Lyft drivers, making Washington the first U.S. state to implement earning standards for rideshare companies. Drivers will have access to paid sick time, family medical leave, and long-term care programs and be eligible for workers' compensation. Uber and Lyft supported the law, which takes away local regulatory power, banning cities and counties from implementing additional requirements for companies. In your culture news, some Republican legislators down in Florida are considering pushing Walt Disney World or punishing Walt Disney World for taking a public stand against the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill by repealing a 55-year law that allows the company to govern itself, which I did not know about that. Florida House Rep Spencer Roach tweeted on Wednesday that lawmakers held two meetings this week to discuss revoking the 1967 Reedy Creek Improvement Act, which he said allows Disney to act as its own government. Spencer, a Republican, added, if Disney wants to embrace woke ideology, it seems fitting that they should be regulated by Orange County. And the 1967 act, which was signed by then-Governor Claude Kirk, a Republican, created the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which encompasses about 25,000 acres in Orange and Osceola counties down in Florida. Your holidays today, National Sourdough Bread Day, Walk to Work Day, Fossil Fools Day, and gosh dang it, it's April Fools Day. Those are your headlines for Friday, April 1st, 2022. Yesterday, I saw Joni Ernst literally on Fox News. She's like, I was talking to the intelligence community and they said that Ukraine can win this. So we need to send more humanitarian aid and more military aid to Ukraine because they can win this. It was like, ma'am, first question, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> Second of all, um, right. you're, Ukraine is, let me, let me put it to you this way, Jody Ernst, okay? Let me put it to you in the words of Kamala Harris. Russia is a really big country in Europe. <laughs> and next to that really big country is a little country named Ukraine. Now, the big country invaded the little country, but the little country will never be able to beat the big country because the big country has these things called nuclear weapons. <laughs> and Ukraine doesn't have any nuclear weapons. 
So you should stop sending American taxpayer money over to the little country that's never going to win against the big country. It's like, yeah, now, now you're, now you're, Masterful now you're thinking about it. Masterful explanation about Kamala Harris. Masterful explanation. <laughs> of course, she can never put words together like that. And I was watching Fox News basically joke her for another word salad that made absolutely zero sense. Well, it's zero because, you know, it's like one minus one. I mean, it's, it's, it's zero. It's just equal zero. We're together because we're united and we're yeah. united because we're together. That's, that's why. That's why. <laughs> that's why. Depends on what your definition of is. is. Mm-hmm. Pulling a Bill Clinton. Yeah, man. I, look, don't take my word for it. Don't take our word for it. Because there's been all sorts of hit pieces that I'm going to talk about for the monologue. I, I, I don't think I've even brought this up on my own channel. Multiple articles. And one of the things that they would basically say is these guys are pushing Russian propaganda. And it's like, I hate to tell you this, we've been more right. Meaning, when we've made the point, take it by what you've seen, just reality. You have one side that is offering concessions. You have the other side that is offering what I dubbed a fart in a jar. Who has... Is it the big country or the little country it's that the has big the country fart in the jar? That is offering the fart in the jar. Ugh. And I can read. Ugh. It's what they're offering. You know YouTubers sell that crap online. <laughs> you know how much they sell that for? No, are you well, serious? Yeah. Well, there's some, serious? Yeah. There's there, was, some, there was a girl from 90 Day Fiance. She sold, I call it, who do you think you are? Selling your jar of farts. <laughs> sold it for like $1,000 a piece. Well, that's for all intents and purposes what Russia is offering. So if we offering. go down tomorrow. Fart in a jar. We got we to sell farts That's in a jar, baby. It's like RT, radio Sputnik. Beans, beans, the magical fruit. <laughs> we sell farts in jars, folks. <laughs> Russia is offering two de-escalatory steps. One of those basically was right here. First step is that Russia is offering Kiev a move to um, forward on a possible meeting between countries' leaders. While initial, initially, Putin and Zelensky were supposed to meet after foreign ministries. Um, initial and peace treaty. Now these two events are proposed to be held simultaneously. Again, that is basically nothing. And they were talking about de-escalatory steps towards Kiev, which, again, they weren't trying to take Kiev in the first place. Here, we are offering you a fart in a jar. Now, the other side is often territorial concessions. They're basically saying we are not going to basically have military in um, the location. Now, just read it. The Ukraine written proposal include a ban on production and development of weapons of mass destruction, as well as a ban on deployment of foreign military bases in Ukraine. Medinsky told TASS. He later told reporters that Kiev position also implies a refusal to pursue a return of Crimea and Sevastopol to Ukraine by military force. Pardon the jar. Real world concessions. <laughs> Who is more likely? To be winning in this contest. <laughs> Meaning, don't take our word for it. Just look at events on the ground. Russia is basically saying we're, we're beginning our second um, operation. Why did you have to say fart in a jar? Because that's what it is. You said like a plate of pierogies. Oh, uh, no, because those plate of pierogies had value, they had worth, oh, and they were this great. That's true. They came from your mama. We're don't undermine that. pierogies soon, Don't folks. undermine that. <laughs> Stock up. This is a fart in a jar. Uh, but look, you guys are listening to fart lines. <laughs> Exciting morning on Friday, starting it's it April off. April Fools, do not take us seriously whatsoever. <laughs> okay? Folks, get ready. Buck, strap in, folks. It's going to be a, a wild ride. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a fun show. Yeah. Faultlines, Thomas, Franzak, back in a moment. Faultlines. Faultlines. Ooh, welcome back to Vault Lines here on Radio Sputnik. I'm here, myself, Aaron Franzek, with my co-host, Jamarl Thomas, talking about today's events. First, I'm going to give a wonderful shout-out to Robbie M. Robbie M. in the chat. He goes, 
Hang on, let me find it. Let me find it. Let me find it. Where is it? Hang on, I just lost it. You know what? This is why I hate Rumble. That's why I hate Rumble what? because you have you to go back and you have to find Rumble. it. I know she said the Rumble, but she doesn't mean it. It's built out of frustration. We love you, Rumble. Yeah, we love we you, love but you. we hate you at the we same time. You. But he's just like, I don't know. A little too much joking for me this morning. Well, Robbie, let me tell you something here, bud. This has been a dark week. It has been one hell of a dark week. And you know what? It is April Fool's. Strap in. Buckle that seatbelt. Grab another one if you need to, because we're having some fun today. Now, granted, we will be talking to Scott Ritter, so we'll have a half an hour of death and destruction. But then we're going to be talking about Hunter Biden. So everybody go get your M&Ms, okay? And then we're going to be talking to the one and only, the comedian extraordinaire, Lee Brigham Lee Camp. At 9.15, okay? So, Robbie, we thank you for choosing us to listen to this morning. But if you need to, you can shut us off because we're going to continue to have fun today. And as we continue to have fun, Jamaro's got one big-ass fault. What's your fault, Jamaro? (laughs) (laughs) My fault, my fault, are hit pieces that are basically coming out. I got to be honest, I am in part amused by it slightly shocked by it. And yet, I've become apparently like a P-lister. Like, you know, I don't know what that alphabet scale is, but on that scale is like A, B, C, D, P. But whatever that letter is, it is apparently high enough where certain articles have began to take notice. So there are multiple articles, right? One came out in Politico. This one is entitled, Russian state media turned to rumble to get their word out. There's another one, um, Mediate. And this one is right here. Russia-affiliated radio show booted from YouTube, Simplecast, following Politico report. And to make it clear, Politico actually contacted YouTube in order to get Political Misfits, the show that I used to be on, and by any means necessary, kicked off of YouTube because they were still playing. This is a media outlet that is basically trying to get an interview from us, being sweet in the way that she's actually asking for an interview. Oh, sweet and homely while simultaneously putting a knife in the shows that are remaining on YouTube. What a disgusting, disgusting person um, to do something like that. What a fart in a jar. Yeah, what a fart in a jar. Especially to be part of media and not understand the gravity of events where you're basically trying to remove an alternate point of view because you don't necessarily like the point of view. You basically have a political agenda in this, and in doing so, you're basically trying to eliminate other sources. Okay, fair enough. Is what it is, right? And then you have one that Mark Sloboda sent me. And it's called, Why Are Kansas City Airways Filled with Pro-Putin Russian Sputnik, Radio Sputnik Propaganda? And Sloboda kind of made the point, said, they don't like me very much because all throughout the article, <laughs> they are basically attacking Sloboda. But there's one particular line. It says, you're listening to Radio Sputnik, the polished, made-for-radio voice says, accompanied by the triumphant theme music, telling the untold. Again, I appreciate the accolades on the notion of production quality. We greatly appreciate that. We do put energy into making sure that the show is polished and everything else. So at the very least, I appreciate you guys saying that. Multiple publications have said it. So clearly, multiple people say it. It has to be true, especially if you're grudgingly saying what is, it. What the hell did they think? They were going to come on and we're just going to be like, la, la, Russia great, la, la. Uh, uh, in like, their heads. That's what? the way it is, right? <laughs> in their heads. It's, it's a like, radio station where they just go off the rails 24-7. Like Putin calls them and says, hey, I need you guys to do this. And automatically, that happens. That is not the reality of events, regardless of the way that you guys are framing this. It says right here um, at this part where they bring in yours truly. 
Guest on Faultlands Radio this week, encouraged by host Jamal Thomas and Fern Franzak, would have you believe that Putin was an unwilling participant in this conflict. The Western media, one guest said. That's not what we said, by the way. Actually, I do think he didn't want to be a part of this conflict. Yes, I own that. Right here. It says it's complicit in spreading Ukraine government war propaganda and added that the besieged Ukraine government is winning in the information war on social media. Yes, they are winning in the social media war on TV. And yes, William Burns, 2008, made the point that Russia did not want to get involved in this conflict. But because you were encircling them and because there was a crisis in Ukraine, they would be forced to do so unwillingly. So, yes, don't take my word for it. You can look at the document. Net means net. But I guess CIA Director William Burns is also a Putin puppet in this situation. It is nonsense. We have been more right than not all the way through this. Say what you want. Call it what you will. We have been more correct. I mean, I made the point of saying that this is going to be an issue meeting the William Burns saying, meaning, yes, this is not a situation that Russia is benefiting from invading Ukraine. The Western framing has been that Putin was chomping at the bit, just waiting, waiting for any opportunity to jump in Ukraine, even though they haven't necessarily explained what were the benefits from doing this. Where here, we noted this is not something that they wanted to do. There are security issues that the West is flagrantly, flagrantly ignoring. And in doing so, created a provocation in that region. Look, the United States was willing to end the world in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Cuba, being close to the border of the United States, we weren't going to accept it. And yet the same thing happens in the opposite direction. And for whatever reason, the impetus that made us willing to basically go to a nuclear conflict with the Soviet Union, for whatever reason, that has vanished. Amnesia. We don't remember that. That blissfully unaware of this. And when I bring that up and say, hey, Russia has real security guarantees, that is not indicative of me taking a side. That is me acknowledging reality. Reality. It would be the same security issues that the United States would have if the Russia decided to put a coup in Mexico and then put in a puppet government and decided to put weapons and bring these guys in to this got old Warsaw Pact stuff. The United States would not have it. They would lose their mind. And yet, when the situation is reversed in Russia, amnesia. Russia doesn't have security concerns. They just don't. NATO is love and light and flowers and rainbows and unicorns, and that is all they are. Russia should not be concerned. So what? They knocked over the government of Ukraine. So what? It's a puppet government. So what? You have neo-Nazis that basically started a war on the eastern region of the country going after ethnic Ukraine. So what? Why should Russia feel concerned about that on their border at all? Putin is just crazy. He has no security concerns. Be honest. That's what I'm trying to get at. My job, Fern's job, more than anything else. What is the world? Sitting on the moon, looking at events, what does it look like? That's our job. And because that's our job, and we take that job seriously of being the integrity in this very specific process, something that you're supposed to do, but you don't do. So we continuously point out this is the reality of events on the ground. This is what is more likely to be true. Here is why this is more likely to be true. Here's the Western source. Here's the China source. Here's the um, um, USA source, et cetera. That's the way we do our job. That's the way we look at the world. And we will give you this explanation of things. I mean, even the military assessment, this notion of progress, the United States is talking about they're stalled. 15,000 Russian troops dead. The ghost of Kiev have taken down 30,000 fighters by himself. 
on one tank of gas. It's like, are, are you insane? Look, it is perfectly okay to give an assessment of what is taking place on the ground. And if it just so happens means that Putin is accomplishing objectives, then it just means that. That's it. You may not like that. You may not want to say that. It may hurt you to your heart to even acknowledge that. And yet, if it's true, it just so happens to be true. And when I point to you that, hey, one side is offering concessions, the other side, partner jar, you make the determination of what is more likely to be true. The side that is losing is more likely to offer concessions. And the side that is winning is more likely to press a military advantage. And at the point where the military advantage gets so overwhelming, then those concessions would get that much more specific, that much more um, intense. And how on earth will your propaganda cover them basically encircling the military in the East, which is where the major conflict has been taking place, which we have been telling you for weeks. They have been showing you pictures of Kiev on television and Zelensky on a green screen. And we have been making the point, the conflict, the majority of the conflict is in the East. And now you have Western publications that are coming out basically saying, the exact same thing. We even made the point um, to tell you that the events that are taking place didn't need to happen. And now you have Zelensky coming out saying, wait, NATO behind the scenes was telling us that we were never a part of NATO. And so, yeah, we're indignant about the whole thing because we look at this as saying, A, you provoked this crisis. You can disagree with it, agree with it, whatever you want. We look at it and say Zelensky recognizes that they won't be part of NATO. Ukraine is offering concessions that if they would have accepted in the beginning, this war would have never taken place. That is not Russian propaganda. That is reality of events. No more, no less. I do this job because I love to do this job. And the fact is, it allows me to just be honest. I would like to do this job on CNN or on MSNBC, but that is not allowed on U.S. media. So I am here. And as long as I can be honest, as long as I can give context, as long as I can be the integrity, I will continue to be here until you rip me away with my cold, dead hands holding the microphone, still being the integrity for as long as I can do it. Baron, you have getting these calls also. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, well, my first thought is I've been watching you. Did you do that whole thing with your eyes closed? No. No, 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 no. My eyes are down. I, somebody, somebody, it looks like you're doing it with your, your eyes closed the entire no, time. No, my, my eyes are down. My, somebody, some, my, I think somebody's like, are you stoned? It's like, dude, no, I'm not stoned. My eyes are, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at my book and from the angle of, no, my eyes are not closed. Because I'm, I'm sitting over here. No, Excuse me, I'm I'm not having here. a religious experience. It's like, it's just. And I'm just like. Are his eyes open? I don't know. Is, no, they're he, open. Just, they're open. is he a vessel of just a vessel of just pure knowledge right now that he can't even look at us? What's going on? No, no, no. I, no, my eyes are open. I'm paying attention. It's just it, it's amusing. I couldn't even get mad at it. My mom and I were on the phone at like one in the morning, laughing at the thing. I was like, they're calling my name. How weird is it? I'm seeing my name you in print. You secretly like it. Yeah, it's funny. you secretly like it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and that's at least I got my name right. Exactly. And I'll tell you why you like it. Because I'll tell you why I could give two, you know what, <laughs> I could give two farts in a jar. I've been in TV in a long time. I'm used to people calling my name out. I'm used to my name being in the local paper or whatever the hell. So I'm actually shocked that I'm not in it. I'm like, finally. So they, they mention my name, but they don't mention any quotes or anything. That's where I'm like, finally, I've dodged something. Thank God. I don't care. I just don't care. And honestly, I think giving them even more wind on this, why? Why? 
<laughs> you're amused. amused because you're like, my name's in it. They name, quoted I, me. They, they printed it's my name. me, 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 me. And to be fair, like I said, I'm, I don't think I've ever discussed it one way or the other in the entire time I've been at this company. Um, because up to this point, it's never been an issue. But at this point, it's like, my name is in I guess the reason why I, I guess the reason why I really don't care is because... Again, like I'm just, I'm used to being in TV and, and getting emails of like, why'd you wear that dress? What was wrong with your hair today? <laughs> oh, Jesus. What was this? <laughs> and then it was like, okay, so like you get all this crap and then it's like, why are you in our team? Why are you working for the Russians? And you're just like, okay. And that's why it's just like with every hit piece after, like, I just don't care. Yeah. And again, like, like the only one that I actually did care about was Dan Abrams, I watched RT America, so you don't have to. Because A, his voice is beyond hysterical. Yeah. I always love doing the news anchor voice. And I always tell people, I'm like, you don't really talk like that. And they're like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, really? Go to McDonald's and order like that. Good evening. I'll have a Big Mac meal, an extra double cheeseburger, a large fry, and a Diet Coke. Like, you don't talk like that. I said he talked for Huh? That's how he talks. Exactly. Getting benefited of that. But with Dan Abrams, though, his whole thing was, yeah, we ain't watching so you don't have to. Like, talking like a freaking, like a dude at a strip club. Um, and, yeah, just, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, and welcome to the stage. No idea Destiny. what you're saying on that one. <laughs> no idea. Um, at least that's how the comedians say they talk. I've never been to a strip club, like, to be honest. Um, but no, and then the other thing, though, too, is just where he said that he was calling cable companies, you know, you're going to get that and you're going to get these people like I even talk in my monologue about how you have all these Ukrainian lobbyist companies that are going after us and they're going to do hit piece after hit piece. I just don't care anymore. I just don't care. You don't care and I'm amused. That's, I think, that's I think it's probably lowly. because maybe maybe it's because it's, it's kind of a new thing for it you in the industry. Thing. Whereas me, I've, I've dealt with this kind of all 15 years that I've been in it yeah, and it's, it's just, it's like nothing new. Very new thing for me. Shocking on some level. Yeah. It's like, I am not a public person, and yet you guys are. No, you are a public person. Okay, you have a voice that that broadcasts to people. You're you're infecting the lives of the <laughs> everyday Americans with Putin propaganda, feeding into their brains through your jar of farts. Yeah. <laughs> and on that, on that, you guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas, Bronzak. Coming back with the one and only Scott Ritter. <laughs> Give it up for Scott Ritter. <laughs> Fault lines. Fault lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Farron Franzak, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C., if you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around to Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Farron and I are putting down whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. Um, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, you have the situation where, regardless of what Western media is trying to cast this as, Russia has basically said they have accomplished their initial objectives. They're moving on to their secondary objectives. Everybody across the board agrees that there's been this kind of military reshuffling and redeployment for whatever, some kind of second stage of operation. And there have even been reports that the fighting has intensified. Marpol, 
and the fighting has basically Russian is saying they made progress on that front. And so we are in this kind of interesting situation where the peace talks are still going on and they're basically peace talks simultaneously with military let's say accomplishments with the goal of creating a military situation on the ground that basically determines on some level the conversation or the context of the negotiations. Ukraine is offered. Have you right introduced here. Scott Ritter yet? No, he's not coming in now. He's <laughs> being come on, buddy. Yeah, he's being introduced. <laughs> Thank you for the um <laughs> okay. Good with that one. Um Alexander Chile, member of the Kiev delegation, said the Ukraine agreed to adopt a no- neutral and non-nuclear status if they were given security guarantees. And of course, from the Russian standpoint, they basically said they will de-escalate, which again, somewhat of a fuzzy word. To have a conversation with us, we're joined with the one and the only Scott Ritter. Scott Ritter is a former UN weapons inspector and weapons of mass destruction whistleblower. Scott, welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Scott. Good morning. I'm doing great, thanks. You, yourself? So far, so good. Better that you are with us. It's April Fool's Day. It is indeed April Fool's Day. So Ukraine won the war, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on what media you watch, I suppose. So, Scott, Russia is basically saying they're redeploying their troops. John Kirby, Pentagon spokesperson, has basically agreed that they're redeploying their troops. What is going to be the second phase of this um, conflict that these guys are basically saying they're arming up for and that they're basically redeploying for? What is that going to look like and what is the objective in the second phase? Well, let's recall when uh, Vladimir Putin gave his uh, speech um, announcing the special military operation, uh, he said right up front <coughs> that the goal was to end the state of conflict in the Donbass, to stop the uh, the shelling and stuff, basically to liberate the territory of uh, the uh, newly independent uh, states of Donetsk and Lugansk. That's always been their objective. Um, but then he said that because there's this huge concentration of Ukrainian troops that have been amassed on the borders in Donbass, that Russia was compelled to enlarge its operation <clears throat> to prevent these 100,000 troops from interfering with the operation in the Donbass region, which then gave us this massive um, you know, campaign that we've talked about before with the, the deception operation in Kiev, building the land bridge <coughs> through Maripol, et cetera. That phase of the operation's over. They, they, the, the, you know, they, they've, they've shaped the battlefield to where they now feel that they can successfully envelop the Ukrainian forces in Donbass without fear of meaningful, um, you know, uh, meaningful uh, intervention by the rest of the Ukrainian armed forces, which Russia claims have been effectively neutralized. So we're now going to <clears throat> the phase of the operation where the Russians are going to encircle and destroy 100,000 Ukrainian troops. That's as simple as I can get. Now, one of the things that I, because I want to debunk this and I want to see if you know about this, because a lot of people are talking and they're like, you know, Putin got the word that there were about 60,000 troops, Ukrainian troops, getting ready to, to go into the Donbass region. And that's why Vladimir Putin then went in before that happened. Any debunking on that? Have you heard anything about this? No, there's no debunking that. That's the uh, that's the justification that the Russian government provided under Article 51 of the United Nations Charter: preemptive, self-collective self-defense. Um, it's 
exactly what the Russians said was going to happen. They captured documents that uh, that confirmed Ukraine was <coughs> building up these troops and preparing to attack. And the entire Russian operation has been focused on destroying those troops. But as Putin said, if we simply limited our attack to those 60,000 to 100,000 troops, <coughs> then the rest of the Ukrainian military would it be able to intervene um, in, a, in a way that they were directing the battle. So we expanded our operation so that we took control of the battlefield, shaped the battlefield to our advantage. And now that we have done this, we're in a position now to complete the primary objective, uh, which was to encircle and destroy these, uh, this mass of Ukrainian forces uh, in the Donbass. There's, it, the Russians have been consistent since day one. Yeah, it's very weird. I mean, if you're looking at the reporting versus if you're hearing what they were saying. And again, I kind of point out that from the standpoint of concessions, well, one side is putting something clear on the table. Um, right here, member of the Kiev delegation said that Ukraine agreed to adopt a neutral non-nuclear status if given security guarantees, which in content and form should be similar to Article 5. That's going to be a non-starter. Um, the North Atlantic Treaty, according to him, the guarantee should envision military assistance and establish a no-fly zone after three days of consultations in order to pursue a diplomatic solution. We have this other part. We have a deployment or ban on the production and deployment of weapons of mass destruction, as well as a ban on the deployment of foreign military bases in Ukraine. Medinsky told Task, he later told reporters, Kiev's position also implies a refusal to pursue a return of Crimea and Sevastopol. If you're looking at this from a military analysis, Scott, what's more likely to be true? Um, that Russia is stalling in this, or that one side is recognizing military consequences on the ground and is responding to that in regards to their negotiations. I mean, this is, I mean, give me your take on that. Well, what we're looking at is a confluence of uh, diplomacy and military operations where one definitely influences the other. Let's, let's get down to brass tacks. Russia's not negotiating anything. Russia's dictating. Um, the terms that will ultimately be uh, agreed upon, I believe, will be the terms that Russia has always said. Um, the problem is, in order for Russia to get to that end, they need Zelensky, I believe, to be the Ukrainian official who signs the surrender documents. Uh, Zelensky has been, again, I believe, allowed to elevate himself to this status. Think about it. Zelensky's addressed all these national uh, assemblies, the U.S. Congress, British Parliament, the EU, NATO, etc. Do you think Russia could at any time stop that communication? And the answer is yes. Zelensky's been allowed to issue video after video after video, uh, which has you know, basically been great Ukrainian propaganda. Could Russia have shut this down at any time? The answer is yes. Zelensky is a well-identified command and control figure. Could Russia have killed him at any time? The answer is yes. Why has Russia not done this? And the answer is they don't mind Zelensky being converted from a failed politician with 23% support uh, who went to bed with the Nazis, who had arrested his opposition and shut down um, the, the opposition media, meaning there's no way you could call this guy a democratic leader. There's no way he's attractive to the West. And suddenly now he's this heroic Winston Churchill figure that the entire West is bought into, giving him credibility, the credibility necessary for him to, uh, when he assigns his signature to a surrender document, <clears throat> the world has to say, 
we have to pay attention to this. Now, how do you get Zelensky to sign this document? You have to bring him into negotiations where he thinks he's in control of something. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing this give and take back and forth. Meanwhile, the Russians are creating reality on the battlefield. Believe me, Zelensky's negotiating position becomes far weaker, say, in a week's time when 100,000 Ukrainian troops have surrendered and there's nothing left of the Ukrainian military. Suddenly, Zelensky, you know, saying, well, we're going to insist on X, Y, and Z. There's nothing to insist on, Zelensky. Uh, the war's over. You lost. And your options now are we take over your whole country and destroy everything, or you agree to our terms. Uh, but they, they can't let Zelensky, A, be killed by Ukrainian nationalists. We know the Ukrainians have threatened to kill him, the nationalists, if he does anything that is deemed by them to be harmful to Ukraine. <clears throat> and right now, Zelensky signing the ultimate surrender document would get him killed. Um, we also don't want, the Russians don't want Zelensky to go to Poland and set up a provisional government because the second Zelensky leaves Kiev, he's out of the sphere of influence of Russia and he's totally in the sphere of influence of NATO where he won't sign or agree to anything and Russia will be left with trying to create this puppet state that will have no legitimacy, the world won't uh, endorse it, etc. So Russia's played a very delicate uh, balancing act, diplomacy, to keep Zelensky engaged, to keep him relevant, and to keep him alive, and to keep him in Kiev, while the Russians create ground truth on the ground. And then at some point in time, there's going to be a culmination of these two things, and there will be a window of opportunity where Russia can hopefully get Zelensky to agree to the terms necessary to end this conflict. You know, I was thinking about this last night and, you know, I was kind of like, okay, no one's ever really asked this question. And I think it, I think it was about time that it should be asked. What exactly does Ukraine want out of this? What does the Azov Battalion want out of this? Do they want the Donbass region back? Do they want all Russian speakers out? Like, what is their end game in all of this? Well, unfortunately for the Azov Battalion, the end game is that they're all dead. So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter anymore. What they did want was to create this. Um, look, they are, their ideology of the Banderists is a racist ideology um, built around the notion of the, the purity of the Ukrainian race. This is why in the 1940s and 50s, they slaughtered the Polish population of Western Ukraine. Hundreds of thousands of Poles were killed by the Banderists uh, because they wanted purity and they want to purge Ukraine of Russians and Russian speakers. So their goal is to create this, this pure Ukrainian state where, you know, built on the ideals of Stepan Bandera. That was their goal. Um, and so what they wanted to do in Mariupol was to drive the Russians out, in the Donbass, to drive the Russians out, in Odessa, drive the Russians out. Um, it, officially in Crimea, they had a vision of driving the Russians out, which is why the Russians said, nope, we own Crimea, and now we're not, you know, we're going to own uh, the Donbass. And they're probably going to end up owning Mariupol. I don't see how that 
as of littoral region, ever goes back to Ukraine. You know, there was a, um, uh, somebody brought it up in one of my YouTube chats last night, and I, and forgive me if I say the wrong one, but they were saying that they were hearing reports, and these are people that were in Russia, saying that they were getting reports and seeing it that um, there were other, I don't know what you would call them. Do they call them like uh, count or states within Ukraine? What are they called? Um, Independent republics or the or, or breakaway like, like republics? The, like, well, they, they were just saying that, uh, I think it's like Austeria maybe, but it's, it was either way. There's a number of other ones that are having referendums this weekend to get out of Ukraine. Hey, sure. Well, no, I, well, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a referendum taking place in South Osatia. That's it. That's it. Yeah. But that's part of the Republic of Georgia. Um, and so they're oh. advantage of what, of Russia's, what Russia's, uh, the Russian embrace of, um, the, the Donetsk and Lugansk as independent republics. South Osatia is trying to jump on that bandwagon by holding a referendum. Um, to declare independence from Georgia, um, my, you know, we'll see, but I, I don't think Russia is going to um, support that because the last thing Russia needs to do right now is create a, a second front of headaches. I was going to say, yeah, like what would that do? It does make <laughs> sense. Speaking of a second front of headaches, um, can I ask you a question on Azerbaijan and Armenia over Nagorno-Karabakh? So it seems that Azerbaijan has been let's say, making incursions into areas that Russia is supposed to basically be peacekeeping. And this gets very weird because up to this point, it seems as if the crisis in Ukraine has basically allowed Azerbaijan or Azeris to get a little bit more boisterous um, in, let's say, either taking over certain villages, having certain air attacks, especially using Turkish drones. And Russia itself has come out at this point and basically said they have basically broken um, the peace agreement. What is going to take place here? Is this Azerbaijan basically getting more let's say, aggressive, believing that Russia is occupied with Ukraine and the peacekeepers wouldn't be able to basically maintain the responsibility. What is going on in that region? Well, first of all, let's go back to the, the foundation. There was a war um, back in uh, 2020, um, two months, September, October, November, uh, where Azerbaijan, uh, it will even go back for it. In 1993, 1994, there was a war between Armenia and Azerbaijan where the Armenians um, you know, took seized control of this uh, enclave called Nagorno-Karabakh, which has a majority Armenian population, but was uh, legally part of Azerbaijan. They seized control of that, and then they launched an offensive to create a land bridge between Armenia and Nagorno-Karabakh, and they ended up taking over a, a significant, you know, 28% of Azerbaijan, uh, driving the Azeris out. So in 2020, Azerbaijan counterattacked with the help of Turkey and uh, seized most of those territories and uh, made incursions into Nagorno-Karabakh. There was a ceasefire negotiated, um, and Russian peacekeeper troops came in. Part of the ceasefire is that Armenia <coughs> had agreed that it would complete the withdrawal um, from the, the Azerbaijani territory that they had captured back in 1994. Well, Armenia has not been doing that. And so Azerbaijan has, uh, for many months now, not just now, but even in the past, um, probed and, and, and pushed and prodded to try and make this happen. They've stepped it up now, and I do believe it's because Azerbaijan believes Russia is distracted uh, by Ukraine and that they can be more assertive uh, at this moment in time, and they are backed up on this by Turkey. 
An interesting wild card in all of this, however, is Iran. Um, Iran last fall uh, basically held a major military maneuver on the border with Azerbaijan and said, if you try a repeat of what you did in 2020, we will intervene on the side of Armenia. So um, this, this is more than just an Azeri Russian muscle flexing thing. This is a, a regional problem that could explode into a major regional war if it gets out of control. Well, then you also, I'm seeing here that a Russian MP threatened to nuke Azerbaijan. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to nuke the crap out of you. Um, and, and I feel like, uh, you know, because it's like the other day with Biden, like where he's calling Putin a war criminal and a butcher and then, you know, craps his pants or whatever the heck's going on. Because, I mean, he's that guy just, it's, it's, it's embarrassing at this point. But, you know, Scott, I think a lot of us are... I don't mean to be facetious about this, but I think we're kind of honestly sick of this whole Ukraine thing. Like, I mean, this this whole idea of, of what's going on and with the propaganda coming out of both sides, how much longer do you think this is going to go on? Because I think that's the question on many of Americans' minds. You know, you have Congress that has zero qualms. A hundred million? Give it to them. Oh, another 23 million? Give it to them. You know, the, they, the uh, um, lawmakers right now are really at, mad at each other because um, Biden wants to increase the Pentagon budget by another $23 billion. Um, so they're fighting about that. Democrats um, want it. Republicans don't. Um, you have... Um, you know, all this money going to Ukraine. You have Senator Joni Ernst saying, oh, intelligence tells me that Ukraine's going to win this. And we just need to give them more humanitarian aid and more money, despite the humanitarian aid that is needed yesterday for Afghanistan and Yemen. How much longer is this going to go on, do you think? Because I think Americans are, are getting real sick of it. Well, I'll be frank. I don't believe Putin gives a damn about Americans getting sick of it. He doesn't care. The Russian high command literally doesn't care. The Russian military doesn't care. Nobody in Russia cares about America anymore. No, I, I, mean, I, I mean the American people, because the American people are just inundated with it 24-7 on cable news when there's so many problems here, you know? Oh, no, I, but for if, again, if I were Russian, I'd be sitting there chuckling, going, good. <laughs> the more uncomfortable America is, the better off we are. But we don't care. Russia's running the operation it needs to run to get the result it wants from Ukraine. Um, Russia has made a decision that it's going to do it with a specific force uh, posture, meaning 200,000 uh, men. They, they're not mobilizing the reserves. They're not bringing in a tremendous amount of other forces. They're going to accomplish the mission with what they got, which means they will go at a pace that uh, is acceptable to the force posture uh, there. They're in the process of annihilating 100,000 Ukrainian troops. Uh, and once that happens, that changes everything in Ukraine. And we're going to see a dramatic, um, you know, a, a change of reality on the ground there and probably in attitude here in the United States. Um, but Russia is not going to sit there and say, well, the American people are sick and tired of this. So, hey, guys, let's uh, let's let's speed up our operation. I know we're going to suffer 15 percent more casualties that way, but go ahead and do it because the American people are unhappy. No, the Russians don't care. This is going to go with the pace that Russia needs it to go at. And again, part of that pace is dictated by the diplomatic aspect of this. And, you know, Ukraine is influenced by um, 
you know, the, 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 the notion that somehow the longer they resist, the more assistance they can get. Maybe they'll get some sort of super weapon that allows them. So, you know, the, the, the West is extending this fight as well. Um, if the West was honest with the Ukrainians for once and said, we don't care about you, we don't care about your people, we don't care about your future, we are simply using you to you know, help shape our posture vis-a-vis Russia. The West would say that Ukraine would wake up. This war would be over tomorrow. Yeah. And that's that's what I was saying. Though. I, I mean, I'll be damned. You know, Lindsey Graham, he's saying that we're not doing enough over there. And he wants us to actually probably have boots on the ground over there. But like I said, I'm saying the American people, because we see our gas prices going up. We see all this crap going on, inflation. And it's, there's so many problems here. And like I said, the American uh, congressmen and senators here, they, 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 of course, want this all day, every day. But it's the people you know, myself, Jamaro, you know, they, we're, we're sick and tired of it because, again, it's affecting us. All these sanctions, it's blowing back at us. And America is finally feeling that wrath. But we want to ask you really quick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was, But we wanted to ask you really quick about the Ukrainian helicopter attack on the Russian fuel depots inside Russia that caused this massive blast. Kind of one of those, where were the Russian air defense systems? Well, that's a question I'm sure the Russian Air Defense Commander is going to be uh, asked while he stands tall in front of a uh, panel of his superiors. Uh, you know, it is a, it's, it's a problem. The same, the same thing would be asked of an American air defense guy. But let's, let's just be clear here. Ukraine was NATO trained. <laughs> they have very capable pilots. They are skilled pilots. And if they're provided with the intelligence from NATO that identifies a gap in air defense radar, the Ukrainian pilots are capable of flying what's called nap of the earth, low to the ground, and exploit that gap and carry out a limited attack. This is a limited attack. They fired you know, a, a couple missiles into a fuel storage depot. That's it. It's not the end of the world. Should, have been, you know, should the Russians have been able to prevent this? Yes, I would be, if I were the commander, I'd be calling my intelligence guy in, my air defense guy in, and I'd be asking my intelligence guy, why didn't you, why didn't you consider this being something they could do? Uh, and I'd ask my air defense guy, why didn't you test your system sufficiently to see where the gaps are and fill those gaps? That was what, that's what we pay you money to do. But it's war. War, is, you know, you have both sides trying to kill each other, and the Ukrainians have the ability to reach out and touch Russia, um, especially if Russia lets its guard down. So I, I think this is one of the, this is just literally a blip. It's, it's a nothing story tomorrow or the next day when, you know, we, when we have a parade of Ukrainian soldiers through the streets with their hands in the air, no one will be talking about what was a limited tactical victory by the Ukrainians. We have about one minute. Um, quick question. At what point, you mentioned NATO and NATO assistance and everything else, basically saying they're NATO trained, they're getting NATO weapons, they're getting weapons from all these European countries. At what point does Russia consider this to be an intrusion, not necessarily just kind of um, assistance? I hope you know what I'm saying for the standpoint of the difference. If it becomes militarily um, significant, where's that line? And I know this is somewhat of a subjective question, but if you had to guess. The, 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 the line was crossed. That's why Russia is invading Ukraine. That's why there's demilitarization. 
Russia has said, none of what you've been doing, NATO, in Ukraine is acceptable. Therefore, we're eliminating it. It's finished. It's over. It will never happen again. That's what Russia's in the process of doing. It was never acceptable to Russia, but they crossed a red line, and Russia now has come in, and through demilitarization, they will deconstruct every NATO link to the Ukrainian military. There will be no link. It's over. Scott Ritter, former U.N. weapons inspector and weapon of mass destruction whistleblower. You can follow Scott on Twitter, at RealScottRitter. You guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas, Franzak. Great interview with Scott. Thank Always so love much, Scott, Scott coming onto the show. Um, him and Mark Slavoto, man, just clear, straightforward. This is what's on the Guardian Angels. But you guys are listening to Fault Lines, Thomas and Franzak, back in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited cosmos. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And in the ladies' corner, my trolls call me Moscow, Mary. But I'm your pierogi princess, a journalist extraordinaire, American, Farron Franzak. That means, more likely than not, you are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Franzak. Right on. I don't know why. <laughs> Doing the DJ stripper, strip club voice yeah. is so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> and welcome to the stage. You it's... know, David Chappelle has this joke about like um, the old mobster voice. It's like, yeah, copper, you're never going to get me copper. And he's like doing that voice to a real cop. And the cop is like, dude, would you stop that? What do you mean, cop? And he's like, how do you know this is not my voice, copper? What do you mean? And like, it is so funny. It is so, <laughs> so funny. Oh, all the voices? Even... Yeah, but the radio voice, yeah, is perfect. Oh, you mean the transatlantic one? Like, hey, boys, we're going over to World War II. Because yeah. you know, they don't talk like that in real life. There's uh, no way. No. It's like, you know, they put, it's almost like, I don't know if um, all parents do this, but I know African-American parents do this. Your mom scolding you. You've done something wrong. She's going after you. She picks up the hello? It's a complete <laughs> know, yeah. 180. It's uh-huh. like that. Where it's like, dude, you know that's not really you. Oh, yeah. Stop putting on airs. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Moms are the best. Moms can just turn it like that. Just in a moment. Yep. Phone rings. Talk about- hello. Welcome to the, oh, this is the Franzak residence. How can I help you? Well, she's like beating you on the <laughs> right, side. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had that mother. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Thank you for calling the Franzak residence. How can I help you? Aaron, owning up to a, a bit of abuse growing up. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, you know what? Look, your mama made magnificent pierogies. So she made magnificent pierogies. It's all forgiven. Pierogies. Pierogies. Thank you very much. Pierogies. pierogies. What are these? What are these corgis you said you speak of? <laughs> uh, no, but you know what? I like my mom didn't beat me, but I mean there were times where she smacked me upside the head. I, uh, here's a quick fun story, a Farron story. When I was little, I used to walk really fast, and I would I would walk in front of my mom and my family or whatever, and and a lot of it was just because I was a kid and I walked fast. Yeah. I have long legs. And, um, or that's what I tell myself. And, um, I really do though. But <laughs> so I'd be walking and there was one time we were at the mall and I was like maybe eight or nine. My mom's like, Farron, come back. And I just kept walking and she's like, Farron, come back to us. All of a sudden I feel, Dunk! I turn around. My mom took off her shoe and threw it at me. No way. Me in the head in the middle of the mall. She pulled the George Bush. She pulled the George, <laughs> the, pulled the the George Bush. Kind of George Bush. Yeah. And nailed me upside the head. 
turned around, folks. I have never walked in front of my family again. You never, you didn't have George Bush's um, reflexes. Exactly. Well, either, I was, like was, the Matrix dodge behind. where he's trying to. Uh, oh, I that's took right. the shoe from behind. You didn't have Spidey sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Spidey sense would have known. Exactly. You would have just like bent backwards or something. But if my it. mom did that today, like here's another thing, like. In like when I see kids today, there was one kid I remember. I can't remember, but it was like the kid was the kid was like the kid was like I'm gonna call CPS. I like you would hear like kids say that I'm gonna call CPS, and I'm like okay. I'm always first of all. No, here's the thing. When I was a kid, I didn't even know there was a thing called child protective services. And if I did have that, I would have been calling them weekly. <laughs> oh, that yeah. tells you what was going on in the Frontex residence. <laughs> um, hey, you know what? A good Italian mother, anyone will tell you, that is not abuse. That is... That's love. Those are life lessons. Those that are love. That's love. That's yeah. love. That's a physical, tangible depiction of love. Uh-huh. Pop. Weapon has a shoe. Pop Love it. goes the weasel. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the headlines. In the news. In the news. Coming US, up in the news. U.S. job growth <laughs> likely continued at a brisk clip in, um, in March, with the unemployment rate falling to a new two-year low. A whole two years. Yes. 3.7% in wages reaccelerating, which will position the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates by a hefty 50-point basis in May. I love that. Mark Frost would kind of point out that those numbers are often cherry-picked in order to give a specific point of view in regards to the rate. Mark Frost back. would also point out that he's just made a killing yeah, he's off made of a killing rubles. Of <laughs> he's made a killing. <laughs> he's Mark, like, you're not going to believe what I bought this week. <laughs> Mark Frost bought rubles. And I'll just go to it. Mark Frost bought rubles at 0. .010. Rubles were at 80 cents on the dollar yesterday. He made a killing. He sold half. He kept the other half. And he's like, yeah, rolling in dough. I'm going to get a Manny Petty. I'm going to the spa. I might go to the casino, spend half, and I'm still going to be rolling in the dough. My name is Mark Cross. He didn't <laughs> say all that, but he could say all that. Um, but let's keep going. The Fed last month raised its policy um, interest by 25 basis points, the first hike in more than three years. Policymakers have been ratcheting up their hawkish rhetoric with the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, saying the U.S. Central Bank must remove expeditiously the, rate, the hike rates and possibly more aggressively to keep high inflation from becoming entrenched. Well... Maybe pass that vote. Americans will be allowed to choose an X for gender on their passport applications to select the sex on their social security cards. The Biden administration said on Thursday and announcing measures to support transgender Americans against wave of state laws targeting them. The changes were among several measures announced by the Biden administration to mark a transgender day of visibility. A day after the Republican governors of Oklahoma and Arkansas signed bills signing transgender athletes from girls Sport, sports in schools, basically banning transgender athletes from girls' sports in schools. In international politics, Russian gas is still flowing to Europe despite a deadline set by Russian President Vladimir Putin to cut it off unless customers start paying in rubles. Uh, Moscow's strongest threat to retaliate for sanctions imposed over its invasion of Ukraine. Negotiations aimed at ending the war were set to resume by video link with Ukraine forces making more advances on the ground in a counterattack that has repelled the Russian from Kiev and broken the siege on some of the cities in North and the East. Western sanctions imposed over the West over the war have cut off Russia from much of the world trade, but exceptions have been carved out for oil and for gas. Washington Governor Jay Inslee on Thursday signed into law a minimum pay standard for Uber and Lyft drivers. Good. Making Washington the first state or the U.S. state to implement earning standards for rideshare companies. Drivers will have access to paid sick time, family medical leave, and long-term care. 
programs and will be eligible for workers' compensation. Uber and Lyft supported the law, okay, which takes away local regulatory power, banning cities and counties from implementing additional requirements for companies. That's why. In culture news, some Republican legislators in Florida are considering punishing Walt Disney World for taking a public stance against the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill by repealing a 55-year law that allows the company to govern itself. Florida, wow. Florida House Representative Spencer Roach tweeted on Wednesday that lawmakers held two meetings this week to discuss revoking the 1967 Reedy Creek Improvement Act, which says allows Disney to act as its own government. What? All right. Um, seems fitting that they should be regulated by Orange County. The 1967 act, which is signed into law by then-Governor Claude Kurt, a Republican, created the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which encompasses about 25,000 acres in Orange and Osceola counties. Wow, I did not know that existed. I, yeah, I'm with you on that one. And holiday news, National Sourdough Bread Day. Okay, Walk to Work Day. That's always good. And Fossil Foods Day. And of course, April Fool's Day. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Franza. I found your, your Will Smith clip. Did you? Oh, well, you didn't want to play that Will Smith clip. You didn't want to play no, it. No, because I cut you off and I felt bad. You, you mocked me remorselessly. No, I didn't mock you. No, mock me remorselessly. No, I just said. It's old. Because, we because, can't play it. Everybody and oh, their mama has seen it. Well, oh, I, you're just well, behind the curve. Okay, okay, okay. Welcome to modernity. Modernity? Yeah. You take you got that Moderna, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, I wish I could find it. There was um, because you'd have to see it to believe it. But um, I actually saw it from Beauty and the Boomer. There was this comedian where he's it's like he's behind this dumpster, and it's like a guy comes up to him and he's like, "Hey, he's like you holding?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm holding." And he goes, "What kind? You got regular or premium?" And he goes, "I don't know, man. It's real tough market these days." He's like, "I don't know." And he's like, "All right, hang on." He's like. I'll make you a deal. And he pulls out this giant thing and it's gas. For and he's like, he's like, wait, is it the regular unleaded? He goes, it's unleaded. He goes, it's this is premium. He goes, it's on the house, man. And, and I was like, that is what is he? And then he pulls out like a little bag and he's like, here's one more. This is ultra premium. And, that but is it's like that's what Biden is doing, right? He's it, it, a strategic oral reserve. Basically. When I looked at it and I was like, this comedian is actually one a genius, but two. Probably a prophet because yeah. I could see this <laughs> right, kind of thing right. happening not too far in the future. By the way, Spain, 10% inflation. Germany, 10% inflation. The dollar down against the ruble. And this is not me basically making this kind of rah-rah saying Russia is doing phenomenal in this. I'm making the point that it's an economic war. We live here and we're getting hit by the nonsense that these guys gotta are basically doing. Got to pay for your freedom. Abroad. Yeah. Got to pay for our freedom. Which, mind you, it's like, it's too expensive to have any freedom right, now. Right, right. I have zero freedom because I can't go anywhere. I can't drive. I can't afford freedom. And we literally thinking, can't afford it. I keep thinking to myself, rational man, going to work, doing his job, just trying to make a living for himself. And he's like, why are all these expenses hitting me? And he sees Jen Psaki saying, hey, rational man, you got to pay for your values. And he's thinking to himself, why do I have anything to do with what is going on in Ukraine? And more importantly, why am I paying for it? Why? Why? Why am I paying for this? And Look, I would wager to you that the majority of Americans, if they were given a contextual understanding of what is taking place, why it's taking place, and why they're paying more, they would balk at what is going on. Mm-hmm. They would balk at it. Rational man. And, you know, that's, that's the one thing that I think, again, like where I was when I was talking to Scott Ritter, you know, Americans, they turn on their TV, you know, and all they see is just Ukraine around the clock. Ukraine, yep. Ukraine, Ukraine, you know, Louis Black has an amazing joke where he's like, turning on CNN looks like 
what it would be when you're having a stroke. <laughs> just down at the bottom of the crawl. Argent breaking down! Argent breaking down! And the anchor is just like, Yes, we're going to talk about Ukraine now, you know, but now you have the new maps where yeah. it looks like they're like doing NFL plays, yeah. you know, like, oh, well, they come in this way, they're going to come around this way. And it's just, it's like, mind you, these people never saw Ukraine yeah. until all of this started going and All of these resources and this money are doing that. Yeah. But I mean, but that, but here's my thing. And this is where, and, and I'll get into it. Or actually we can, let's take a break and then we can just go to my monologue because this is what my monologue is about, baby. That's right. A15 yeah. is your monologue. I forgot. I, yeah. we, we're still getting used to the change. We changed the schedule a little bit around because we wanted to give, like, basically both of the hosts monologues. Initially, Shane never wanted a monologue. So he was like, okay, I just want the rap. Let's do calls. And I was like, well, Fern, who's going to want a monologue? Let's give her a monologue. I got stuff to say. Yeah, yeah that's right. She got day. stuff to say. Let her shine. <laughs> so let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back with Fern's fault. And I don't mean she did anything wrong. She's just going to give oh, the fault. Oh, but I did. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> My bad. My bad. Uh, but you guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas Franzak. Back in a moment with Fern's Fault. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Fern Bronzak, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys live in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging with Fern and I are putting down whatever platform you're consuming this um, on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202. Two one one three two zero. Your engagement helps makes this show what it is. So definitely don't be shy. And without further ado, let's go to Fern for Fern's fault. Fern, what is your fault? Well, the- first of all, I see that there's 460 in the chat, but only 26 rumbles. What? So in the words of Where's Mama Thomas? Mrs. Thomas, she's in the chat too. Smash that rumble button. Mrs. Thomas, get to your job. Yep. Mm-hmm. Get to your job, Mama Thomas. Come on, Larry, I see you. Larry, <laughs> smash the ruble button. Or the the rumble button, not the ruble button. <laughs> Can you imagine if they did change it to ruble? Oh, gosh. No. So, again, and I don't mean this to sound facetious, but I'm just, I'm honestly sick and tired of just the wall-to-wall coverage on Ukraine. And I know there's a lot of people, you know, reporters at like CNN or Fox would be like, you don't understand, this is so important. No, in a way, I I get that it's important to people in Congress because they've poured a ton of money into it. However, it's not as important it is to the American people. You know, you have crime rates going up if, uh, I mean, crime rates going up, I mean, on the rise everywhere, you know, even down in Florida. And that's the one thing is if we'll get to Florida in a second. Um, You have crime rates going up. You still have an opium crisis. It's not like that just didn't go away. You have a massive homeless problem. You have people who got their businesses shut down, lost their homes, nothing done about that. Just came out yesterday that rent in every single state in the country is up at least by 1.3%. In some states, for example, like in Lincoln, Nebraska, for example, or in Arkansas, Fayetteville, Arkansas, or Amarillo, Texas. Okay, no offense to Amarillo, but you don't hear about a lot of people moving there. However, there have been in recent years 
people moving to many of these, quote, flyover states. And you had a company like BlackRock who went through, bought all of these homes up, all of these apartment complexes, and they have a monopoly in the middle of the country on the American dream of owning a house. They're, they're turning us into a nation of renters, and Congress has done squat about it. Mind you, again, when was the last time you heard about rent rates in Lincoln, Nebraska being the same as New York? Thank you, BlackRock. Okay? This stuff is happening at a speed, as I always say, where if we don't do something now, it's going to suck for everybody. Because if rent in Lincoln, Nebraska goes up, it's going to go up across the board. And again, you had, if you, for those that don't know, last summer during COVID, when people were getting kicked out because of eviction moratoriums being lifted, BlackRock, BlackRock went in, made a killing on buying all these houses for super, super cheap because they were all in foreclosure or people were evicted. And now they've, they've re-upped them. For example, and I talked about this one time in my monologue on RT America, where there was a house up here in Silver Springs, okay? It was a four-bedroom, three-bath house, rinkety-dink little house, nothing big, totally a fixer-upper. Even in the listing, it said, do not go on the back balcony. Like, it is dangerous. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah, this was a hunk of junk. A company went in, developers went in, completely, and mind you, the house sold for, uh, or the house was listed at 285, okay? Silver Springs, northern suburb of D.C., where a lot of people live because so, it's, a, you know, the taxes are better. I used to live there. Okay, yeah, so you know very well. They, the company went in, fixed it up, um, you know, all new backsplash, fixed the balcony that we couldn't walk out on. Guess how much that house sold for? Half a million dollars. Up. More. So, up. A million. 285. It went to 885. Wow. Yeah. These developers, and, and granted, I get it where you go in and you fix these fixer-uppers, but these development companies are making a killing. And again, people are evicted. BlackRock went in, and this is all in those flyover states in the middle of the country, goes in and, and buying up these homes, jacking up the rent so you, don't, you can't even consider buying it, and jacking up the price if people do want to buy it. And basically, the American dream of owning a home is dead. Then you have, for example, there was this big Amazon vote. I don't know if you saw this. AOC and Crystal Ball. Got into a fight on Twitter. I saw that. Huge Twitter spat. Maybe you can help me out with this too because I saw this. Mind you, um, AOC actually lives in my building. And the other day I was walking Buddy. And uh, I actually have two tea stories for you. But yeah, um, or no, I'll just tell this one. Uh, but yeah, but AOC, I, I'm, I'm, they're delivering my couch. And... The truck is there and I see this like quiet Tesla car and it's like coming out of the parking garage. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, cool, Tesla. And then it pulls around the truck and I see, because it stops right where the truck was, there was a stop sign. Because you, you know you where you dropped me out, there's that stop sign. And uh, if I showed you, you would, you would get it. Um, and I see the car stop and they're looking down at their phone and they're trying to figure out where they're going. And I'm like, I'll be damned. That's AOC. And the new Tesla model. And I was like, <laughs> that's where our money from Congress is going. Your new Tesla. So anyway, so you have AOC, where there was the Amazon labor union. 15 hours ago, the current vote totals were 1,500 to 1,100. Or 1,500, yes, around 1,100, no. And 
you see her where she's, you know, like this, the the emoji of like the strong arm or whatever. Crystal Ball just comes in hot and is like, here's the guy who organized the union. And this is a reply to AOC. Here's the guy who organized the union drive talking about how you left them high and dry. You meaning AOC. These are your constituents and you couldn't be bothered to show up until they're on the cusp of victory. AOC responds, the warehouse isn't in my district and maybe you should look at a map before claiming so. One scheduling conflict aside, we have requested oversight investigations into Amazon, met with Amazon workers in the Woodside warehouses and more. Hope you do more due diligence next time. And I don't even know like how it continued after that, but all I know is that Jordan Sheridan um, comes in. Jordan has been on the show. He's a reporter. Oh. Um, so he's been on the show a few times. He's a um, really good reporter, actually. Um, AOC responds again. Security was an issue as well. 2021 included a lot of high-level threats on my life, which limited my activities I was able to do, especially those outside the combination of that. When we were able to get resources, time to, what is this, execute? I guess, I, I don't know what that one is. I guess she's said execute. Probably, uh, um, create scheduling and logistics conflict. Um, crystal ball, no security concerns at the Met Gala with, <laughs> with a question mark. I didn't see that. Holy that cow. Yeah, they kept going because Jordan was inter. He says, I was told by workers that your folks told him at the last minute it was a security issue, not a scheduling conflict. Whether you're district or not, you would think that the New York congressman would have tweeted support, particularly in the final weeks for one of the most important union drives in the United States. Uh-huh. So, yeah, people are. Yeah. And, take and, an issue. But, but. Perfectly, though, to my point and what Crystal said, this I'm actually with Crystal on. This just goes to show they don't care about anything but Ukraine. You have all of these important things going on right now, and they don't give a damn about you, your life, me, my life, people, student loans not happening. All of these promises, right? Biden, we're going to restore the soul of the nation. Okay, well, I don't remember the soul of the nation looking like a complete joke to the world. Two, I don't remember you saying that, you know, you said it needs to go back the way it was before Trump. Uh, Sir, it's way back, way worse than when Trump was in office before that. Obama, it was, eh, you're worse than Obama. And as as many uh, historians are saying that that Biden is like the, the Buchanan before the Civil War. You know, but again, there's just so much going on. And that's why, honestly, when I say that I'm sick of talking about Ukraine, I don't mean like, you know, ah, screw the people and I don't care, you know. No, like I don't want people to die. I don't want people to suffer. But at the same time, we have problems in our own country. With the amount of money that we have sent over to Ukraine, I even looked at a list. We could have, with all the money we sent to Ukraine, ended homelessness, fixed the opioid crisis, pass Medicare for all or have get started with Medicare for all. And every veteran would have the opportunity to go to drug rehab twice. And then some, I mean, it's just, and when you see this and you see congressmen, like even for example, last night, folks, there's about 50 congressmen that live in my building. And I get so aggravated to the, like, for example, I always see Ayanna Presley in the elevator. Veronica, Veronica Escobar, I see her walking out yesterday. Okay, I'm, I'm there to get a package with Buddy. It always is around my dog too. I'm either out walking my dog and like I see one of these people or whatever. And she comes down in her designer dress. And mind you, I know Veronica Escobar from El Paso. I've done countless interviews with her. She knows my face. She saw me and she was kind of like, why do I know this girl? She knows my Where do face. I know this girl from? Because <laughs> the last time face. she saw me was El Paso. Yeah. Because she took over for Verbato O'Rourke. So again, 
I know her very well. She was on the El Paso um, County Commissioner. She was the president of it. Um, so I've done countless interviews with her when she was that position. I see her come down in her designer dresses and she's got her, you can see her parents are waiting with her husband and she's like, it's it's so warm out. I brought my shawl with me <laughs> and they're going off somewhere to like dinner. I see Ayanna Presley, okay? I see her walking into the building and then I see her driver. Mind you, every time these people leave the building, they have a personal driver that brings them over to the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And I'm not far from the Capitol. They could easily scooter, okay? Five minutes. Yeah, they could scooter their asses over there. Ugh. So <laughs> she she's getting she walks out, she gets out of the car, and mind you, they're the big escalade like cars with the security. Yeah. Gets out, you see the guy bring out this rack, puts up the rack. Starts putting all these designer suits and dresses on the rack. And then she's like, okay, just bring it up to my place. And then she walks in. And mind you, her driver's black too, which I was I was like, oh, this is funny. Because, you know, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't even know why I brought up that he was black. But well, he's no, bringing up, you know. Yeah. Back in black. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Something to that effect. And, and it was just bringing up to my place. And, and I look and I'm like, Dolce Gabbana. Okay, like all of these nice Nice ass clothes. And I'm looking and I'm just like, you know what? These guys have way too much money to play with. And they get way too much money for doing a whole lot of nothing. And folks, again, AOC, I'm for workers' rights. I'm going to be there for you. Shut up. Shut up. And honestly, again, we, you know, you come in, I'm also the working man in the squad. You know what? The squad, you suck. You suck. Republicans, you suck. Democrats, you suck. You all suck. You all sit there and you go, for example, another one, Ro Khanna. Ro Khanna yesterday. He openly admittedly says, it was Brianna Joy Gray had a great interview with him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, how do you feel about, you know, pushing for the 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 free speech uh, and closing down RT? And he goes, well, I've never watched RT, but what they were putting out there was pure Russian propaganda. It's like, sir, you just admitted that you, you, you are stupid. <laughs> I have no experience yeah. with this thing, but yeah. I will assert a I, flat fact. I never tried it. the fish tacos, but I know they taste like crap. Right. right. Like what? <laughs> right. You know, like, what are you saying? And again, these people, it's just, again, Jody Ernst. I just talked to the intelligence community. Are you sure it wasn't the cast of Sesame Street? Because any intelligence community would tell you, Ukraine is not winning this. But Raytheon, was that your defense industry? Was that the intelligence you talked to? Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, did you talk to them? Did they tell you they could win? I guarantee that was the intelligence that you <laughs> talked to. Not our actual intelligence, like a Colonel McGregor. You know, and that's that's the one thing that it just it gets so annoying. And again, my whole point being with this is there's so much going on here. And then to kind of segue into our next guest after the break, then you have Hunter Biden's email. <laughs> Emails. Okay, and his laptop. Okay. This guy who on his laptop has pictures of MMs on his on his ting ting lined up, him with strippers. I mean, him with crack pipes, all this stuff, going over to China, going over to Ukraine. Ukraine is like small potatoes for him. Getting millions from China, signs a deal Monday, gets $5 million in his bank account Thursday, and then has $100,000 a month he's given, and then his dumb uncle, too, 
Jim Biden getting $65,000 for having a pulse and being a Biden? But no, we need to investigate Ivanka and, 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 and the Trump kids because they were in the White House when this happened. Okay, Joe Biden was in the White House too. And he was going on these trips with his son. So his son was technically in the White House too. Or not, maybe not in the White House, the vice president's house, which a vice president can be impeached. And we're all just supposed to look the other way. You have, you have more of this January 6th committee that's doing all this crap. We need to investigate more. Another thing, it's either Ukraine or January 6th. And it's like, how about for one day, you devote 24 hours to experts talking about how can we end the homeless crisis? For example, Manila Chan was working on a deep dive investigation before we shut down about how many mental institutions in the country have shut down. Many homeless people, people and the, the, the facts are there. They're either mentally, um, uh, they have a mental disorder or they're drug, they have a drug habit. Sometimes, if, if not often, both. And you had, for example, in the state of Virginia alone, Three years ago, they had eight mental institutions in the state. Do you know how many they have now? Three. Three. Really? Three. In three years, they shut down five mental institutions, and it's happening the same in New York, Illinois, all over the place, shutting down these mental institutions. No replacements. No replacements. Where Just fend for yourself, folks. Wow. And that's it. Uh, that's... So let's talk about how we can end homeless, homelessness for 24 hours. I pitched this to Fox, CNN, all of them. I'll even say you can do it on a Saturday. But just 24 hours to one issue and having all those experts on how to solve the problem. But they're not going to do it because it doesn't make money. It's not sexy. And everything right now is Ukraine because you need these defense partners making money. You need the media having to sell it. And it's just a very, very sad state of affairs. Jamaro, your thoughts, besides that they all suck. I agree with you. Um, and how can I say it? To put it? I put it this way. For all of the emphasis and the attention that they basically put on Ukraine, and if you're just a regular American, like I said, rational man, rational woman, going about your day, and you say, well, wait a minute, you guys have put that much money into that country? And what are the issues that we have here that you guys have basically ignored? I mean, it's the issue of priorities, right? What do you care about most? And you have that stuff on the list. I care about this. I care about this. I care about this. Shouldn't your own countrymen and constituents matter more? And when you think hundreds of billions of dollars in Ukraine, and yet the promises, the $15 an hour minimum wage, think about it. You're talking about like 40 million people that has benefited from that. That's a promise. That's a big deal. My mom didn't even make $15 an hour when she was working. How about the, we need to help these Ukrainian kids who've lost their parents and bring them in for adoption. How about yeah. the American kids, one in six goes to bed hungry every night. Right how, about, how about we, we discuss, if we want to talk kids, let's talk that. Let's talk kids. American kids, you know, our school systems are crap. But back in the day, public schools used to be great. Public schools were awesome. You could get somewhere. You can, you, you got a good education. Now, <laughs> kids are going through metal detectors in Chicago before they have to go, before going into school. And you're telling me that, you know, and again, the humanitarian aid for Ukraine. Did we forget about Afghanistan and Yemen? Okay. No, we didn't forget. They stole the $9 billion. Yeah. <laughs> That's the difference in forgetting. Well, and by the way, even with this notion of, all of the money and resources given to Ukraine, they're doing that in order to bleed Russia white. I mean, meaning they're willing to fight this proxy war 
to the last dead Ukrainian. They know it. All of them cynically know it. And they're dumping all of the money into that country to do just that. But God care. forbid we ask a question about why. Tucker Carlson asks, what, what's in it for the American people? And God forbid you're a Putin puppet. Even Lee said in the chat, poisoning American kids with Flint water. Flint, where, where's Flint? What about Flint? What about Benton Harbor is another one. What about the Chicago lead pipes? The number one city in the world with the most lead pipes, Chicago. Maybe that's why I'm so crazy. Aaron, two points. One, metal detectors are entirely conducive to education and learning. Thank First you. First point. Um, and the second point, Obama sipped the lead water. So, of course, it's perfectly okay. He's a vessel of truth. He's a vessel of truth. You guys are listening to the phone lines with Thomas and Franzak. <laughs> April Fool's Day. I hope you get the sarcasm. Back in a moment. <laughs> Fault lines. Fault lines. Welcome back to Radio Sputnik. You're listening to Fault Lines. I'm Theron Franzek, joined with my co-host, Jamaral Thomas. And we are talking M&M strippers and Hunter Biden's laptop this morning with one of my favorite people in the world who just says it like it is. He's a vessel of common sense. Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Shafley Eagles. Ed is a lawyer who holds advanced degrees in medical ethics and philosophy, which, Ed, I did not know that. Um, Ed has served as chairman of the Missouri Republican Party and as a member of the Republican National Committee. He was chief of staff for Missouri Governor Matt Blunt, where he helped Missouri to pass the pro-life and school choice legislation. Having run for office, Ed is well-versed in political strategy and tactics, how candidates win and lose, and how legislation is passed and defeated. You can see more at ProAmericaReport.com. Ed Martin. Good morning, my vessel of common sense. <laughs> I like that better than I think introduction. Thank you. And I like, I like talking with you guys. I've been listening on the uh, phone line. So, yeah, look, thank you. It's uh, nice of you to have all those things. But mostly at this point, uh, what I think, and you guys do this, and I hope your listeners and others are on, online, we have to practice and teach ourselves to speak up because the culture, it's not a cancel culture for you and me. I mean, maybe a little bit because we're up in the, you know, we're a little bit more prominent, but most people are not worried about being canceled. They're just worried about being hassled. And so they're stepping back. Mm -hmm. Back right now. This is a moment where we can't afford to let our voices be, you know, pushed back because we, then we're losing some basic thing. I mean, it's broadly we're losing. You know, there's one thing in the war, the Ukraine war and all, but there's lots of other aspects of our life. So good to talk with you. Yeah, yeah. we're loving to have you, especially early this morning. But so we have Hunter Biden's laptop and... Mind you, there were 12 Republican senators who actually received a copy of it last summer. Tisk tisk, very much indeed. Um, but you have it where Hunter Biden was making millions, not just from Ukraine. Like I was saying, Ukraine was almost small potatoes. It was China where he was making a killing. And I'm sorry, if I was a crackhead and I got a million dollars, millions of dollars, my mother would be the first one being like, what's going on with you? You're telling me Joe Biden had no idea? Yeah, I think the Bare Naked Lady sang a song about that if I had a million dollars and was a crackhead. But I, <laughs> uh, no, no, look, there's lots of, layers, lots of layers to this. And, you know, I've been intrigued that in the last couple of days, the man who owned the computer store, whose life was ruined, you talk about that. Exactly. In intimidation culture. He's run out of town as well as out of business. He's in his mid-40s. and. When you watch this, he did the right thing, but it hurt the wrong people. 
And so the message to the American public is don't do the right thing if it hurts the wrong people. And I actually, Farron, it's funny you brought this up this way. I've been thinking about how would I have done this differently if I had someone had said to me, hey, there's this laptop because he gave it to the FBI. He couldn't have known that the FBI would be so bad as it is and as it's become. He, he was too, he probably was a normal guy. He wasn't watching all the shows and all. And he said, I'll give it to the FBI. They're, you know, Elliot Mass. I mean, they got Capone, right? And so he did the right thing there and it was a bad idea. And then he said, I'll give this to other people that should care. And he did. And so we, he, on one level, the tactics that he used, you say, what could he have done differently? Because he did all the right things, but it was the wrong person. And then as you point out, it's not the drugs and the sex videos. Look, we're, there's all sinners everywhere. We're all sinners. Mm-hmm. You look at it and say, wait a second. He's actually negotiating for millions. Not, it's not $100 to go out to dinner in, in D.C. It's millions, tens of millions. Looks like hundreds of millions. And I had a guy on my radio show a couple of days ago, Mike McCormick, who, who showed one of the emails. He said, this is Biden, Joe Biden's Gmail account, one of the Gmail accounts. And here's the guy sending a photo to that account saying, hey, this is so we know it's Biden's account, Joe Biden's. It looks like I mean, I'm not I'm only watching the evidence. And then he said, and here's an email from uh, one of his son from his son to the other guy saying, hey, you know, uh, we need more for this guy. I, again, if it was anybody else we would be covering it 24 hours a day, seven days a week on all our networks. And here's the trick. It's gone. It's not even being covered by anybody. And you say to yourself, how, even if it was a cover up a year and a half ago, how's it not being covered now? And the answer is there's people more powerful than, than we, the people that want it covered up. And, and you know, the, the other thing that, that just really grinds my gears with all of this is now they want to investigate Ivanka and Jared, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner further because they say, oh, they were actually working in the White House. Hunter Biden wasn't working in the White House. And it's like, yeah, he might not have been working in the White House physically, but he sure as hell was working alongside his uncle. And you're telling me that Joe Biden had zero idea? Yeah, I mean, but look, I mean, from Billy Carter... You know, back to uh, uh, was it um, Harry Truman's daughter, Bess Truman, when she got, you know, Harry Truman was helping her with a singing career, whatever, right? We know in politics there are going to be favorites, right? And, and the question is, have we come to a point in the American experiment where the corruption is so deep and so big because the size and scope of government's so big? I mean, you know, uh, 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 Harry Truman wanted to punch a critic in the face who criticized his daughter. That's what he did. But we have Joe Biden and others, by the way. But, you know, you go read like Peter Schweitzer's book. It's Republicans, too. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. system is a ra- The system is a racket. The old Eric Hoffer quote, you know, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business and degenerates into a racket We're in the racket stage. And so whether it's Pelosi or McConnell or uh, or Biden, you're exactly right. It's not small potatoes. The Kushners and Ivanka and all. They have the benefit, in my opinion, of having had the Klieg lights on them from the beginning. If Ivanka was actually doing something to make money, we would have known it by now. I mean, they were watching her all the time. So it's all a red herring and it's all a distraction. But again, it's working. And the reason it's working is because the power of big tech and big media and big government willing to work together or working hand in glove. That's we used to be able to beat them with the truth. Right now, they're beating us with neuroscience and with technology and with the size and scope of government. And with repetition, basically saying the same narrative over and over and over again with two particular sides, creating this kind of um, manufactured consent. Clinton campaign, DNC fine FEC for lying about the Steele dossier payments. 
Now, I looked at that and I said that was basically a slap in the face in the way I described it. Because, honest to God, I look at it almost in a similar way that you look at it. The scale of what was basically taking place was astonishing, especially from the standpoint of Joe Biden. And especially with him being vice president, we're supposed to believe that he had no coordination, meaning he hadn't talked to his son at all. Vice President Joe Biden is a viceroy over a country that he basically knocked over. And yet his son is head of this kind of radically corrupt energy company, but none of them are talking. And yet. Well, this is very, uh, yeah, this is very important to tell you, and I, I appreciate having a chance to, and I'm being serious, to show some expertise. The FEC, the Federal Election Commission, which sounds to the American ear like, oh, that's good. That's the enforcement branch, right? They'll check on campaigns. It's absolutely toothless. And it's not just toothless. It's both parties, especially McConnell. After McCain-Feingold passed, McConnell said, well, the one thing I'm not going to do is allow the FEC to get any enforcement authority. So what you have there is barely staffed and barely functioning FEC. And so when someone gets before them, it's an insider game. And the insider game is, all right, we're going to have to fine you, so we say we did something, but we're certainly not going to you know, refer for criminal charges and all. So, And the FEC is completely neutered. And Trump couldn't change that. Of, of the many things that Trump did, he couldn't get past McConnell on the FEC. And so, and Biden doesn't want it either. So you're right. It's meant to be window dressing. Oh, we, you know, that total slap on the wrist, the slap on the hand, nothing real. And it's just money. And as we know, the, the, they have the money. I mean, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Hillary Clinton. I mean, they have the money. Yeah, it's like $8,000 for, I think, Clinton, 100000 for the DNC. It's nothing. Right. So it's nothing. And, and more importantly, what it should show people is the corruption of the system. Citizens United was a Supreme Court case that basically allowed corporate dark money to chase non-corporate dark money into the dark hole that will destroy destroy the republic. Because there was always dark money, and the right the right complained about it, said there's le- I'm mostly on the left, but then what they said was, now let's use Citizen United, and we'll do corporate dark money, and it's all hidden. So you don't know when there's $100 million spent by pharma, you don't know when there's $100 million spent by Soros. You don't know, and, and it's designed that way. And the system will not be changed because there's hundreds of thousands of people, many politicians in office, but many more staffers and consultants and wait for it, family members. One of the other rackets is Hunter Biden didn't want to work hard. One of the at least when you're a racket on the inside of consulting, you'll see so and so senator whose son is a campaign consultant. That means he's getting paid money and doing and doing having to show up a little bit more than Hunter did, or at least not travel internationally. You have to go to Biloxi to go to an event and all. So but that's that's the dynamic that you're seeing when you watch a slap on the wrist for a, an earth shattering change in American life. Yes. The Steele dossier and the Russia hoax. Yes. And I, that was kind of the point. But I want you to hear this quote. This is Joe Biden saying, asked about it very directly. Did you know anything about what Hunter Biden was doing? Listen to his and answer. And his brother. And his brother. Let's play the clip. On your son, Hunter Biden, uh, President Trump says, Sweepy Joe has real problems. Reminds me of Crooked Hillary and her 33,000 deleted emails. A lot of the Ukraine charges about you have been debunked and were unfair. There's one thing that a lot of Democrats even do wonder about, and that is Hunter Biden, your son, was getting paid a lot of money to serve on the board of a Ukrainian energy company facing serious corruption charges. You were the vice president running point on Ukraine the average Joe hears that and says, that sounds fishy. What's your understanding of what your son was doing for an extraordinary amount of money? I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. I found out he was on the board after he was on the board. And that was it. 
and there's nobody. Well, no you've had a lot of time. Isn't this something you want to get to the bottom of? No, because I trust my son. But that that I trust pass. my son. I trust my son. Now, the Wall Street Journal made the point early on, back in 2015, if I'm not mistaken, that there were multiple Obama officials that were concerned about the ethical um, issues associated with Joe Biden being vice president and vice of Ukraine with his son working at Burisma. Also, we have an email from that fantastic Russian um, publication, The Washington Post, as they, oh, I'm sorry, New York Times, New York Times. In one email, Mr. Archer, in April 2014, Mr. Biden outlined his vision for working with Burisma. In an email, Hunter Biden indicated that, um, Ms. indicated that the forthcoming announcement of a trip to Ukraine by Vice President Biden, who's referred to in the email as my guy, but not by name, should be characterized as part of our advice and thinking. What he will say and do is out of our control. They made the point that Vice President Joe Biden traveled to Kiev, Ukrainian capital, about a week after the email. It goes further. This email right here. Dear Hunter, like, because look, at this point, the Washington Post and the New York Times has basically said those emails are legit. So if those emails are legit, then it follows that the emails are legit. Here's an email. Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving me the opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It's really an honor and a pleasure. As we spoke yesterday evening, will be great to meet. Here's the point. Thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving me the opportunity to meet your father. Does Hunter Biden have a different father? And to make that point that much more clear, the Washington Post brings that up. Meaning, I'm sorry, the New York Times brings that up. They bring this very specific meeting up, even though they demure on that very particular point about whether they met. Well, if you read the email, it gives a strong impression that they met. Why? Did Joe Biden lie? But, but yeah, but 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 let but let's say let's put this in context. I think it's a great point. But let me now. I, I thought about it as you were talking, and here's the context. Joe Biden's in public life at the highest level for about 50 years, and during that time, I remember now his sister has made a great living as a campaign manager. You know, when you get when you're a senator, she's probably making at the time 150 grand for the last 40 years as campaign manager. His brother is a lobbyist, right? His boys grow up. And they go to the best schools and they get the best opportunities. And then all that, look, all of that is common. The difference maker at this point in history is America. The American government has gotten so big, so influential, so activist, so wealthy, and it's gotten more rotten, right? Again, if you were 1952, you, you know, uh, 1951, Harry Truman is trying to get his daughter to get more attention. He doesn't have, at least the way we see it, the levers of power that we do now. But, but be that as it may, what you point out about Biden is he, I actually will defend him on this. His son was a wild guy, and, and probably he didn't know how much his son was influence peddling because it had been going on for decades. And so he probably didn't know the specifics. But then he admitted, when I found out about it, well, shoot, when you found out about it, isn't that the moment? Yeah, you did nothing. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Well, he wasn't just inventing, investing in Five Guys franchise in, uh, in Delaware. He was actually messing with Burisma. We got to do something about it. And they did nothing. And they said, you're not allowed to look at that. That's the thing that's different, too. They used to get caught and be shamed. Now they get caught and they deny it. And again, the narrative machine, big tech, big government and big media will cover it up. And as you point out, repeat it enough. And people in this country think there was a Russia collusion in 2016, right, with Trump. And they think that there was a Hunter Biden laptop that was misused by Russian disinformation. It's insanity. So but, you know, again, will we have a period where this country decides and its leaders that they want to hold them accountable? If I was Speaker of the House next year, if a Republican gets in, I would hold hearings immediately on the 51 people who either were duped to sign the letter on Russian disinformation or were liars. But here's here's my question on, on if Republicans do get it, because I think that uh, obviously, yes, there are going to be hearings. And I and I think there's, this is going to be, Ed, and I'm sure you agree with me, this is going to be the biggest red wave I think that we have seen 
frankly, ever after all of this and what's going on. But if you have Republicans in and then they start holding these hearings, isn't that like Hitler overseeing Mussolini's trial? They're just as much as guilty as the Democrats are. Well, I, yes and no. Yes, you're right. That's why I don't actually believe right now that uh, it will happen. I think there will be what you will see. If, my prediction would be a red wave. And then uh, Speaker, let's say McCarthy, will say we looked at our polling to his to his caucus. And, you know, people hate inflation. And they hate rising crime. Let's do some hearings on Black Lives Matter. Let's do some hearings on the cost of milk and bread. And this will get lots of attention because that's what people care about. And he will do that. I agree with you. What we have to do, the we the people, is demand and try to shape the agenda. Because you're right. They won't want to do hearings. You know, Michael Hayden is protected by as many Republicans, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, as he is Democrats, right? So the question is, though, are we sick of it enough that someone will pull the string and try to get to the bottom of it? Trump's the only guy. The reason I hate him so much is that the only guy that is actually understand. I once said about Trump, he knows the mob, right? He knows the mob. The mob doesn't let you leave, right? You don't get to leave. I mean, he knows if you cross these people, their goal is not to say, have a good time and in, in, out at the pasture. It's to destroy you. So he knows his family will be destroyed. Watch the movie Gotti with uh, John Travolta where oh, yeah. Gotti talks to his son. And, and, and the son says, I'll just go do a couple of years and they'll be okay to me. He got another 50 years on the backside because the FBI, everybody didn't want him. My point is we got to have somebody and some leaders that are willing to wade into this and really get to the same thing with January 6th. Let me, tell, let me break some news. I looked it up yesterday. The January 6th Select Committee, which Pelosi convened, has no end date. She, the original one, if it passed, the Congress would have had the next speaker should say, I'm reconstituting the select committee. I'm putting Matt Gates in charge or somebody good and say, now we're going to get to the bottom of why did Pelosi not send the cops in right away? Right. Let's now let's really get to the bottom. Will our guys have the guts to do it? The Republicans in office? Probably not. Right. And then we'll be right here saying, oh, man, they, 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 you know, I wonder why we lose. I wonder why conservatives lose. So it's a watershed moment. The question is whether somebody's lifted up to be real leaders. Now, I want to I want to pivot because we had Roger Stone on Tuesday who, you know, I'm sure we're, we're, we're kind of on the same side of this. Um, I'm sure what, you know, Roger Stone is one of those oracles in the political world. And he, we very much talked about, you know, the insiders and the outsiders when it comes to DC and, and both parties, which is why Trump was able to get people on the far left and people on the far right that felt like they had been forgotten. So you have Madison Cawthorn, the congressman out of North Carolina, young guy, says, hey, you know, um, we, I was invited to these parties. There's these sex parties. They're doing cocaine. And he then gets a meeting called with, with leader McCarthy or with, with minority leader McCarthy, where he basically gets a brow beating. And I'm sure, you know, we weren't in the room where it happened, but I'm sure they told him, you better shut your damn mouth or we're going to run somebody against you because it doesn't make people in D.C. look good. Because let's be honest, OK, and I think, Ed, you can attest to this, too, having worked in politics. Politics is a dirty game and people like to get dirt on you or they want to at least be able to have that option of having dirt on you in case they need something from you down the line. That's why politics, I think, is so messed up right now again, with all the money involved. But you have an outsider like Madison Cawthorn, who, again, I, I, I don't stand by everything that he says, meaning like I had gone to sex parties and I've done cocaine. What I'm saying is, is that in D.C., it's an open secret that a lot of these congressmen have a lot of fun. Some of them too much fun. Yeah. And <laughs> you have this kid that's calling him out now 
And now you have it where they're, you know, hey, nope, we're going to run somebody against you and trying to lay down the gauntlet. But it's like, how do we get more people like a Madison Cawthorn? I mean, I feel like this next generation coming up, they are so sick and tired of seeing what's been going on, especially since they had years of their life from COVID ruined during either high school, college, grade school. They've lost valuable years. What do you think is going to be the future with a lot of these insiders? You know, when I think a lot more outsiders are going to be brought in or voted in. Well, well, I mean, first of all, like Madison Cawthorn, can you imagine being 26 and being in Congress? I mean, my my point there is I made enough mistakes and said enough dumb things when I was 26, you know, with my friends and family that, you know, and so here here he is, this double standard. Remember when Chris Dodd did an on the record interview and they laughed about how he and Teddy Kennedy used to force themselves into a sandwich with the waitresses at the restaurant? Ha ha ha. Isn't that like, in other words, you know, it's almost it's almost comical to try to point out hypocrisy. It's almost comical to walk down to the Capitol and say, who here of the list of 435 plus 100 has had an affair with their assistant? Let's make a list. And it's all both parties and all. Now, I'm not judging that. I, I have a, an opinion personally. What I'm saying is Madison Cawthorn is being targeted because he makes a lot of points that makes him nervous. Right. And he is. So here's the other thing. He's also useful for leadership to look like they're doing something. How, what's worse, to be 26, have no real power and say dumb things, or be Liz Cheney and quite literally give the other side, not an arrow, but a quiver full of arrows to torture your people, which is worse. I, I, and so we have a leader and leadership that won't expel Liz Cheney from the Republican Party, but they will Madison Cawthorn. We, again, you have to know politics and, and know thing, how things work. There's no power of a single member in the House. They have no power. They can't do anything, especially a freshman. You have no power. You don't have a committee chair even, but the speaker is king. And so the idea that Cawthorn is anything other than a a publicity, you know, a public relations problem is insane and silly. But that's what's going on. But look, the different question is, how can you fight and not have your people get corrupted or co-opted? I mean, this is not, again, not unsophisticated. This is not a, a mom and pop shop. This is sophisticated corruption and co-opting so that by the time you're up here for a couple of years, you're suddenly against term limits, which you ran on. Right. You're suddenly against the idea that uh, that, that there should be new blood because you really have the knowledge now to change the system, all that crap. And so, you know, I, I don't know how you resist it. There was Dave Bratt was one of my favorite Congress, Eric Cantor, on basically the issue of immigration. And when he got up here, he just got exhausted by it all. Eric Cantor was shocked that he lost that race. And and just to our point, you know, he was sitting in there with a financial executive at the time that he lost the race. I mean, it's it's insane. And so I guess that is a good question, though. I mean, the question is, you know, on, on target, how you have all incentives in the world are basically to do what you don't want them to do. How do you not how, how do you get them to not do that? How do you insulate them from those pressures? And and remember, if you go the way of the outsider, you literally end up alone. You lose your family, you lose your life. Talk to the J6 prisoners. These guys are, you know, there's like, a, you know, in prison, right? Their, their families are falling apart and people move on, right? The guy that had that black, back, so take it full circle. Hunter Biden's laptop was dropped off at a computer uh, thing in Delaware. That guy, his business, which was 10 years old, is destroyed. He's out of business. He had to flee the state. He's probably going to declare bankruptcy. His relationships are strained and we've all moved on. And so if you look around, if you're a congressman, you say, you know what? 
I can have a really good life and my wife can have a really good life. And my son has a, you know, a learning disability. He can go to the best schools. And all of a sudden, humanly, you just say, ah, I think we'll move this system as much as we can. And you won't go back to the moment. So, you know, and, and the reason why I say that is, again, government's so big and so strong and so powerful. Uh, 50 years ago, was it able to do as much? You still had to stay in good with your, with your, you know, people at home. You didn't have to worry as much about Washington lobbyists. And so I, 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 I can get very um, cynical and very negative on the future. On the other hand, we've had these moments, right? We've had, and I think we can, we can pray for and then work for kind of things we can't see coming that can change the whole dynamic. And one of them, by the way, was Trump. Nobody saw Trump coming the way he did it. And so can there be another Trump, a different Trump, a movement within the, within the Republican Party? Of course there can be. It's just a question is the odds seem long right now. Do you think Trump's going to run in 2024? Uh, today, it's 100% guaranteed. And there's only one or two matrix, only two ways to measure it. One is he's raised about $150 million. He's got more money than the DNC and the RNC. And in politics, it's the only thing that matters is money and votes. So, and the second thing is the polling shows he beats everybody by 40 points. And they, they say, oh, well, you know, the Sanders gets 25% of the vote. Look, Donald Trump won the primary by just having 25 or 30% of the vote. You don't have to win 100% to win the primary. So today, he and, and, and the way the Democrats are going, a ham sandwich wins today in normal settings. What we haven't seen, by the way, is uh, I ran the election board in St. Louis City uh, in 2005 and six, and, and into and seven. And we have not had real election integrity reform. And let me be clear. They've been stealing it from both parties. They've been stealing it. The establishment, the people in charge have been stealing it. It's not just the Democrats in 2020. So the question is, what are they going to do now? Are they really, are they really going to let uh, uh, people, we the people win? I tend to doubt it. And the election system has not been challenged in a way that's meaningful. You know, uh, reducing the hours people can vote, eliminating boxes. That, that's not real. Yep. And you know what, Ed? I think I think many Americans today, whether they voted for Trump or not, are hoping that Trump, uh, wishing Trump was in office. Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Shafley Eagles. You can see more at ProAmericaReport.com. Great to hear your voice, my friend. You're listening to Fault Lines, Rumble.com slash Fault Lines. We'll be back in two minutes. Fault Lines. Let's get ready to rumble. 453 in the chat right now at rumble.com slash fault lines. We are live from the divided states of America, sitting atop the transmission tower of truth, taking down hypocrisy one lie at a time. In the ladies' corner, my trolls call me Moscow Mary, but I'm your pierogi princess, journalist extraordinaire. Farron Franzak. And in the left corner, I am your ever vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamarl Thomas. Which means you're listening to the fault lines with Franzak and Thomas. I'm so confused right now. I, you know what I just realized? Of uh, what? FTL is like fault lines, right? Yeah. It's actually Franzak Thomas Live. Nice. Oh. Get the okay. FTL? Yeah. Franzak Thomas Live. We have a Google chat. It's just called FTL. I hadn't noticed it, to be honest. Yeah. I just did, but and also in our in our chat. Do you want? Would you like to read the headline? What's in our chat? I, I, I'm, just, I'm confused. News right I'm now? totally confused by this. Gay penguin, a all male couple, has baby at Gifford Zoo in New York. It's a miracle, folks. 
a vessel of a miracle. I have no idea <laughs> what is taking place with us. <laughs> I have no idea. I have to read this article to figure out what is going on. But. Okay, well, while you read that, we're going to read the real news. Yes, yes. But, folks, you're, you're, I'm excited. In 15 minutes, folks, we have the Lee Camp of Redacted Tonight and his Moment of Clarity podcast. We're talking Chris Rock. We're talking the slap heard around the world. We're talking censorship. We're talking comedy and what it all means. Lee Camp coming up at 9.15. But first, U.S. job growth likely continued at a brisk clip in March with the unemployment rate falling to a new two-year low of 3.7% and wages reaccelerating, which should position the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates by a hefty 50 basis points in May. The Fed last month raised its policy interest rate by 25 basis points, the first hike in more than three years. Policymakers have been ratcheting up their hawkish rhetoric, with Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying the U.S. Central Bank must move expeditiously to hike rates and possibly more aggressively to keep high inflation from becoming entrenched. Americans will be allowed to choose an X for gender on their passport applications and select their sex on social security cards, the Biden administration said on Thursday in announcing measures to support transgender Americans against a wave of state laws targeting them. The charges were among several measures announced by the Biden administration to mark a transgender day of visibility, a day after the Republican governors of Oklahoma and Arizona signed bills banning transgender athletes from girls' sports and schools. In your international news, Russian gas is still flowing to Europe despite a deadline set by President Vladimir Putin to cut it off unless customers start paying in rubles, Moscow's strongest threat to retaliate for sanctions imposed over its invasion of Ukraine. Negotiations aimed at ending the war were set to resume the by video link, with Ukrainian forces making more advances on the ground in a counterattack that has repelled the Russians from Kiev and broken the sieges of some cities in the north and east. Western sanctions imposed over the war have cut off Russia from much of the world trade, but exceptions have been carved out for oil and gas. In your tech news, Washington Governor Jay Inslee on Thursday signed into a law a minimum pay standard for the Uber and Lyft drivers, making Washington the first U.S. state to implement earning standards for rideshare companies. Good. Drivers will have access to paid sick time. Good. Family medical leave. Good. And long-term care programs. Good. And be eligible for workers' compensation. Amazing. Uber and Lyft supported the law, which takes away local regulatory power, banning cities and counties from implementing additional requirements for companies. In your culture news, some Republican legislators in Florida are considering punishing Walt Disney World for taking a public stand against the so-called don't say gay bill by repealing a 55-year law that allows the company to govern itself. Florida House Rep Spencer Roach tweeted on Wednesday that lawmakers held two meetings this week to discuss revoking the 1967 Reedy Creek Improvement Act, which he said allows Disney to act as its own government. Spencer, a Republican, added, If Disney wants to embrace woke ideology, it seems fitting that they should be regulated by Orange County. In 1967, that act, which was signed by then Governor Claude Kirk, a Republican, created the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which encompasses about 25,000 acres in Orange and Osceola counties in Florida. Your holidays today are National Sourdough Bread Day, Walk to Work Day, 
Fossil Fools Day, not Fuels, Fools Day, and April Fools Day. These are your headlines for Friday, April 1st, 2022. Oh, so what about these gay penguins? I, I didn't go there. <laughs> I honestly did. I read, I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I am not going to invest. Um, we too much do time not know. It. Yeah. But you know what we do know? Like I said, Lee Camp is coming on. But one of the things that Jamarl had not heard yet in this whole slapgate, slap heard around the world, Chris Rock getting rocked, mm-hmm. um, was Will Smith's Smoking acceptance speech. And the whole thing is about six minutes, mind you. Um, normally they give you four minutes. Um, they gave him six. And when he, and mind you, he had just slapped and assaulted a guy. Um, but also you have it where Michael Moore protested the Iraq war and was calling out war crimes when he got his, um, award for the, for documentary. I can't remember which one. It wasn't Roger and me because I was too old. I can't remember which one it was. Sicko, is it? Might have been, yeah, Sicko or one of those. But he got an Academy Award. Fahrenheit 9-11 is another one. Yeah, and and when he started saying he was against the war in Iraq, they they grab the cane, yank him off stage, you know? The other thing is now it's coming out that the Academy was really, really mad that this happened. And then you also have it where they're investigating. They're saying that, They asked Will Smith to leave and he said, excuse me, and he said no. Then you have it where the Academy couldn't get together quick enough because they weren't near Will Smith and they all weren't sitting together. And so they all couldn't get there quick enough to make a decision before he won Best Actor, before they could take it away. It's like, you're really going to use geolocation (laughs) as your excuse on this? You really needed to come together. Nobody you had a phone. You couldn't have a group text <laughs> and be like, hey, guys, crap just went down. Um, let it be known. We're not keeping that. That He's not keeping the award. So take a quick second because we have um, a snippet from Will Smith. Again, he just assaulted somebody. Just assaulted somebody. Again, it's six minutes in length. But this is kind of the highlights, especially where he is going to be a vessel. Of love. Take a listen. I'm being called on in my life to love people. Or smack them. And to protect people. And to be a river to my people. And I know to do what we do, you got to be able to take abuse. You got to be able to have people talk crazy about you. Except you didn't take it. In this business, you got to be able to have people disrespecting you. And you got to smile and you got to pretend like that's okay. But you didn't do that. Wrap it up, Will. But Richard Williams, and what I loved, thank you, D. Denzel said to me a few minutes ago, he said, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. Good quote. Doesn't apply here. I want to be a vessel for love. That's what I want to do. I want to be an ambassador of that kind of love and care and concern. Um, I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Um, 
Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father. Just like they said. <laughs> I look like crazy Richard, father. Did Richard Williams slap somebody ever? Did he assault somebody? Love yeah. will make you do crazy things and people are giving him. That, God, that is so infuriating. It's so grandiose. And it's grandiose in the context of I literally on national television just assaulted a guy. Not just assaulted a guy. You assaulted one of the best known comedians. Yes. In the industry. Yes. And let's be honest, the dirty part that's not being said in all of that speech, somebody is diddling his wife. Somebody is diddling his wife. And as a man, that is a difficult thing to deal with. Now, I don't necessarily know what else is going on in Will Smith's head, but the idea that you will walk on stage and hit a comedian for making a joke, even if you think the joke is inappropriate, it is a joke. And the idea that the crowd was standing there. It wasn't even a good joke. It was like a lazy yeah, joke. Yeah, it was a lazy joke. It was like, wow, you're fit and you're bald. Yeah. It was like, oh, shocking. It's so, it's so unfortunate. Oh, my God, I'm going to defend my wife by assaulting a comedian on television. You are not a vessel of love. You're not a vessel of anything. And now that you're using these words, I made the point of saying precipitously perch is pretentious. Nope. We'll never say it again. Mm -hmm. Doesn't touch this. Doesn't touch this. Mm -hmm. That's an astonishing speech. Yeah. And they applauded that? Yeah. No, not, not even just applauded. They gave him a standing ovation. But again, the Academy Award says that wow. they don't condone violence. Um, Harvey Weinstein, Roman Polanski, Kevin Spacey. I mean, Will Smith. Yeah. Now, they do say that L.A. police officers were on scene and ready to arrest Will Smith. Well, then why didn't you? Yeah, that was a crime committed. Why a hasn't the prosecutor charged him? crime committed. Yeah. Now, granted, like what Jim Carrey said, Chris Rock doesn't want to have to deal with the assaults and charges and all that. He goes, what I would have done, I would have just come out Monday and sued him for $200 million because that video is going to be infamously living on till forever. They're going to shoot that out in space in the next space capsule they shoot out. The Chris Rock Will Smith slap video for some alien to see it. Literally. But again, what this does though is, is there's a greater, a greater thing here, folks. And you've heard many talk about it. And that's why we're going to talk to Lee about it is comedians are the last line of defense, as I say, for free speech. Right now, you can't even hear certain things on the news. So you have guys like Joe Rogan, Bill Burr, you know, um, Burt Kreischer. You have Andrew Schultz, Dave Chappelle, Lee Camp having to talk about what's really going on and putting a funny spin on it. You know, that's the one thing is, is they always say comedians are, are secretly really dark people. And they truly are because they see the world for what it is, but they got to figure out how to make fun of it and make it entertaining. But a lot of these comedy shows now, you go to these, you know, even like, for example, Lewis Black. He was, he's like one of my favorites where he's just like, do you people see what's going on? <laughs> but he just gets very angry. Yeah. But again, it's that it's these people these comedians are your voice to be like, hey, like, for example, even George Carlin. George Carlin was the big, it's a big club and you ain't in it, you know? And it's like now the fact that somebody said a joke that you don't like, the Academy, Hollywood, everybody has shown it's okay. If you don't like what somebody says about you or in particular your wife, you can go up and slap them across the face and then 15 minutes later get an award for it. And that's the part that's scary is comedians already have it as tough as it is. And now it's normalized that they can just walk up and slap, you know, comedians now are going to have to go to their live shows 
with security because you don't know if some guy is off his rocker or what have you. No pun intended, off his rocker. The the Uh, Chris Rock thing is awesome. Yeah. But I mean, who knows if you have some guy that's off his rocker that's like, you know what, I don't lose. Screw this guy. And gets up there and and goes to assault the comedian, male or female. You know, comedians, there are some that have good jokes. Some of them are rough, like... If you heard Andrew Schultz, as we talked about, you know, he he went in on Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, yeah. You know, don't <laughs> oh, feel, yeah. his oh, joke, yeah. don't feel bad for Chris Rock because he's going to come back with more bob and, bobs and weaves than Jada Pinkett has in her, in her wig collection. I mean, that's a joke, you know, but it's just these comedians now, I fear for them. I really, really do. And I, ex- I respect, I admire comedians because if, in my next life, I want to be a, a, a big time stand up and have my own Netflix special. <laughs> Although I feel like they all have one now. Um, but yeah, I fear for them. I truly, truly do. And got a standing ovation. Yeah. Standing ovation because that, that's, it's like, that's the exclamation part on it. That's astonishing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and look, all of them were laughing at Chris Tucker. Um, Chris. Yeah, big Mike, big Mike's rock. Or my, Big Mike's Kirk or whatever. There's always security at clubs, so stop. Yeah, there was security at the Academy Awards too, Big nobody Mike. Nobody stopped Will Smith. And nobody stopped him. Nobody got up on stage. Cops were in the building. Nobody yeah. arrested him. Talk so, about, don't, so don't give me that, oh, there's always security, so stop. About class Again, privilege. you're at the, the biggest award show with tons of security, with the amount of famous people there, and nothing was done. So you can't tell me that there's security, so stop, because nothing was done on the biggest event for these rich celebrities. And again, applauded after. Applauded after. Like, that's like an exclamation point on just bad behavior. You mm-hmm. guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Franzak, that clip is astonishing. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I need to process that. Back you in a moment. A, you need a vessel of... Yeah, a, a vessel of processing. A vessel of processing. <laughs> right, Got it. Right, right. We're back in two folks with the one and only Lee Camp. Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Farron Franzak, coming to you live out of our station, Washington, D.C. If you guys find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around the Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging with Farron and I, are putting down whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like and share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is, so definitely don't be shy. And we are going to have this conversation on a few items, rubles for one, because that is the main story for today. Basically, Russia is saying pay us in rubles or else it is going to be a breach of contract. So there's definitely that. And that basically rattled the world markets in regards to energy. But from the standpoint of the ruble, the ruble basically spiked on that particular news up to 80 cent, if not more. We have other conversations in regards to them taking Chris Hedges down and, of course, them taking Lee Camp down from the standpoint of YouTube. So let's bring in our guests. We're joined with Lee Camp. He was host and head writer of Redacted Tonight for eight years. Now you can follow his work on patreon.com slash Lee Camp. He has been a guest of the show once before. Lee, welcome to the show, my man. Thank Good you for morning, joining Lee. us. Hey, how you guys doing? Good to hear you, Farron. You too, buddy. Our offices were like three doors down from each other. You guys know each other. I'm teasing. I know <laughs> you guys were together. <laughs> <Paper fools. laughs> yeah. No, that, that's Lee. 
always appreciate you coming on the show, my man. I wish he was under better circumstances, um, especially with hearing that they basically took down the information on the channel. What is your thought about that? Before we even get into the show itself, I wanted to get your take and just the feel of it. To have that much work over that long period of time, meaning, meaning you go out and do God's work. You try to do what mainstream media doesn't do, but it's ethically, philosophically oriented that they're basically supposed to do. And because you're doing your job like that, you find that run roughshod against the narrative that they were trying to impose on the public. And as such, basically took down all of your hard work for over the course of those years. What is in your head on something like that? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely traumatizing. On one hand, though, I guess, the you know, the first day I got to do the show, I ultimately did eight years and 375 episodes. And the first day I got to do the show, I was like, this is insane. This isn't going to last eight minutes. <laughs> Completely uncensored, anti-war, anti-imperialist, anti-corporate America. It was amazing. But... Then, of course, there's the other side of it, which, of course, you know, this is incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly McCarthyist uh, to see eight years of work, not just like ended. Obviously, RT America ended all the shows shut down. But then all the videos, all the back videos, all banned on YouTube globally. That includes like old shows like Abby Martin's Breaking the Set, everything Jesse Ventura did, all of Chris Hedges. It's all banned. And on top of that, within two days of that, my podcast on Spotify was deleted, a moment of clarity. And and this goes on top of uh, all of the shadow banning and suppression that many of us have dealt with for years, uh, several years now. Um, but so it's just, it's incredibly dangerous. I mean, you don't have to agree with every word I say to think that I have a right to say it. Uh, I'm not calling for violence. I'm not, you know, doing live porn or something. I'm actually calling for anti-violence, and apparently that is so threatening to the American empire that they needed to shut all this down, all of these great voices. And, you know, I was telling this to Jamarl yesterday, because um, one of the shows that I have a really big problem with that I used to like was Breaking Points with Crystal and Sager, and they interviewed Jon Stewart, and you know Jon Stewart has his new show on Apple+, Plus, and Jon Stewart, um, you know, very much, I, I, you know, because I know you, Lee, uh, you know, personally. And, you know, one of the things, as you said, you know, growing up, it was it was guys like, you know, Daily Show and stuff like that that was, you know, kind of a, um, you know, an, an inspiration for for your show and what it came to be. And you have Jon Stewart then later talking about the mainstream media and talking about how, you know, everything, for example, with Ukraine um, it's, it's, it, it, at the very beginning, it was all talking about, you know, okay, we have this expert on what's going on. And it was very just dry. What is going on? Let's look at the ground. Let's look at what's happening. And then it started to evolve in, okay, how much money, what should we give them to fight with? Well, you know, Zelensky, isn't he such a hot, a hottie, you know, all this other crap. And John Stewart says, why don't I hear any talk of peace? And I looked at that and then Crystal did this like monologue and she's like, isn't it great? And he blah, 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 blah. And he's so right. And I was like, first of all, you all were peddling the Ukrainian stuff right from the get go. And it's like, oh, now because Jon Stewart says it, it's okay. But to me, I looked at that and I was like, there's a lot of other comedians, mainly the first one of them all that I know of was you saying, can we go for peace? Can we talk anti-war? And it's almost kind of like the fact that I feel like it was at RT, there was this, obviously, this Putin puppet narrative behind it. But even on your tweet, you said, I'm anti-war, I'm anti-capitalism, all of what you just said, and you're still labeled 
Russian propaganda. But then when John Stewart suddenly starts asking questions, oh, it's okay. Right. And a couple of things about that. One is like him saying, oh, they used to have all these experts on at the beginning of the Ukraine war. Well, they're very careful to pick those experts. Exactly. Instead of going to give the U.S. government's kind of propaganda standpoint on that. So he's kind of wrong about that to begin with. But but then he is right about, and like you said, I was saying it from the beginning, you know, where is the talk of peace? It's just about arming Ukraine. It's just about uh, let's keep this war going as long as we can. And he's absolutely right. The thing that I find frustrating, perhaps more than anything of John Stewart, is the, the I, I don't, I mean, either inability or, or he doesn't have the, the passion there to actually dig deeper and figure out why it is the U.S. doesn't want peace. And that's what I've been trying to call attention to in my recent videos is, there's many reasons the U.S. doesn't want peace. Uh, you know, one of them is they want to encircle Russia and NATO. Another is they, you know, put forward a, a U.S.-backed coup in 2014. And these are U.S. puppets that we've been working with Nazis. Congress even a couple of years ago pulled out or, or removed the ban on funding neo-Nazis that they had themselves put in on their own <laughs> funding because they wanted to fund Nazis. So... Uh, yeah, there's many reasons. And uh, of course, uh, I think it will get into this, but uh, central banking and the petrodollar and the U.S., the dwindling U.S. empire. But for some reason, John Stewart doesn't actually want to dig into any of that. Well, let's dig into it. And, and Lee, and Lee, you do. Yeah. You I do. mean, you did a video the other night basically digging into it. We were having this conversation about dollars, rubles, um, in a way that basically this stuff has backfired. I mean, I made the point yesterday. This is not going according to plan. I have no idea. What the plan is, but this cannot be going according to plan. You see inflation going up 10% in Spain, 10% in Germany, 10% in the UK. These guys are cutting back, talking about 1960 levels um, conditions. And by the way, that is just from this notion of um, sanctions. We haven't even gotten to what it means for this to be put into rubles, how that's going to work. No idea. And so your point was that basically the dollar on some level under pressure, I would call it a certain interregnum in regards to the um let's say, the dollar's hegemony in regards to this primacy on the world stage. What is your take on this? And break this down for us um, in the way that you would hope John Stewart would have basically broke this down. Yeah, the U.S. empire maintains our control of the globe to the extent we have it with two things, massive, insane military force, you know, 800, 900 military bases, trillion dollars a year, uh, just truly horrific military force is encircling the globe. and uh, economic hegemony. The the petrodollar is the reserve currency. Before this, uh, before the invasion of Ukraine, eighty percent of all oil deals were done in dollars. And and the central banking, the the fact that many countries are within the central banking arm of the U.S., so the U.S. can put the squeeze on them if they aren't doing what the U.S. wants. And the countries that have been, if you look historically, the countries that have been outside of our central banking or have dropped the petrodollar and therefore are uh, less controllable by the U.S. empire, they've often been invaded. Uh, Iraq dropped the dollar. Libya was talking about creating an entire African currency. Gaddafi was, called the gold dinar. He was then invaded and, and, and murdered. Uh, Syria dropped the dollar. You can keep going down the list. Iran, a year before uh, Trump put a drone bomb through their top general's head, uh, switched from the dollar to the euro. And you see it again and again, and, it, and, and rather than the U.S., you know, getting a handle on this economically, which is part of, part of why they want to sanction Russia to death, uh, they're losing control of the narrative. I mean, like you said, Russia has switched to 
demanding rubles from uh, Europe for all of those gas payments, which is uh, a tons of tons of gas. That forty percent or something of Europe's gas comes from Russia. And the day after RT America shut down, I on my Patreon I interviewed uh, Scott Ritter, the former UN weapons inspector, and sure enough, he called it. He said Russia has not begun to put the hurt on Europe, and if they cut off that oil spigot, it doesn't matter how much the U.S. is trying to fill that void. It will cause massive ramifications. Europe will all of a sudden go into a huge recession. And, you know, now they haven't cut off the spigot, but they're demanding rubles, which is a a big shift. And it's already happening. So he kind of called it. And, of course, these experts exist out there, but they're not allowed on your mainstream media airwaves. And you're not allowed to talk about these things. The U.S., a lot of our propaganda works on telling Americans that, you know, nothing matters beyond two days ago. There is no reality days ago. So you don't you don't talk about how we've expanded NATO and encircled Russia. We don't talk about how we've sent missiles to the Nazis in Ukraine for years. We don't talk about any of that stuff. Two days ago uh, is the beginning of reality and Russia invaded. I mean, <laughs> that's what they want you to believe. Mm-hmm. Now, there's actually um, Jerry in the chat. He's like the burning question. How can comedians like Lee Camp, Jimmy Dore, Tim Dillon and others expose the brutal truth? But none of the 535 people elected to the U.S. Congress go there. Come on. Um, but, you know, Lee, the other thing, too, you know, because I watch for those that don't know Lee's, he, you can find him on Rockfin. He's got his moment of clarity on YouTube, which honestly, Lee does these deep dives. He's like, you're like a reporter or an investigative journalist and a comedian, honestly. Um, But you got to watch his moment of clarity because he talks about a lot of what he just was talking about as far as the dollar and whatnot. But I was going through, because it's always interesting. I always used to go through the comments for, for videos just to see what people are saying and, you know, their reaction. And I've noticed, Lee, you know, again, you're anti-war, anti-imperialism, anti-corporatism, all of that. I'm noticing more and more people in the comments are like, you know, I'm a diehard Republican, but this guy is right on. And I'm seeing, I'm like, whoa, people on the right are agreeing with a comedian on the left. What is going on here? What spigot are you turning on, Lee? Are you surprised? (laughs) Um, I mean, uh, uh, maybe a little, but... Not really in the sense that, like, what you're getting from your mainstream airways is such a tiny, like, the Overton window has shrunk now, so you can't even, you can't even, like, recommend peace on a global scale. So the the amount of that could actually be discussed on your mainstream airways is so tiny now that people very easily find themselves outside of it. They can see a video and go, why have I never heard that talked about? And you end up with a lot of right-wingers who... Uh, you know, may may stand for some Republican ideals, but they also want there to like be a planet for their grandkids. They also don't want to die in a nuclear Armageddon. Like there's a lot of places you can come together when you actually sit and, and discuss these things. So, you know, it does make sense that that there should be some understanding and some alignment on what we, you know, should be working for for the future. Now, I always say comedians are the last line of defense when it comes to free speech because we've lost the press. The press is no longer there. Um, And you have to go to alternative media in order to get that. And a lot of times they're not going to let these alternative journalists like like an Aaron Maté or a Max Blumenthal inside a White House press briefing. (laughs) They're there. Probably, I'm sure, banned uh, (laughs) an open secret that they are banned from that. Um, But, you know, again, with comedians being these last line of defenders of free speech, you have them now where they're calling for the censorship of a lot of you guys. And my question is, is, you know, 
how how are you guys, how do I say it? How are you guys going to be able to get through this as far as, you know, again, you guys are comedians, you're making fun of the world. And now you guys are the next ones to get banned. And what does it say about comedians bringing the real hard truths to the people, something that the press should do, but doesn't? Yeah, I mean, as we are shut down and sanctioned and shadow banned, I think both activists and comedians, but anybody speaking the truth that finds himself in that reality, uh, we need to build up the alternative, the alternative platform while still using these big tech platforms because they're so large that they're a massive tool, even when they're suppressing us, they're a tool that we should be able to be able to use. Uh, but we do. We need to build up the alternatives, ones that don't censor us, ones that do allow the truth to get forward. Um, and again, you know, speaking of how, um, uh, you know, American minds are goldfish and we act like uh, only this past year is, is reality. If you look at American history, we've gone in cycles like this. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we come out of it uh, one day. But, uh, there, you know, these comedians in the past, like George Carlin, his case went all the way to the Supreme Court as to whether he could curse on, you know, whether it was like NPR could play his seven dirty words. And Lenny Bruce was. Mm hmm essentially to his death uh, by, by the authorities, by the police. He was every club he'd go and perform in. They'd arrest him for his language, for things he was saying. And he was arrested and so had so many lawsuits going forward that ultimately he OD'd. But, you know, his life was pretty destroyed. And he was basically arrested for speaking out against religion, speaking out against the state repression. And, they, they you know, they essentially killed him. So, we, we've seen this again and again, and then there's just, you know, deleting from the airwaves. The Smother Brothers were, had the most popular television show in America, and they were kicked off for being anti-Vietnam War. Uh, so there's a long history of, of suppressing and censoring uh, those who speak the truth, even when it's entertainers. It's unfortunate. I mean, because it goes, I guess to me, it feels like this has become far more of a standard playbook. Meaning, yes, you've had the censorship. And you've even had other cases of censorship. Let's say Crystal Ball, for example. I know we mentioned her a few times today. But she even made the point of saying when she did the article or did a story on Hillary Clinton, how they basically brought in like a monitor um, in order to, it's like, hey, you need to kind of have this person here just to oversee what you're doing. Otherwise Huber, you get the shock collar. The shock, right. <laughs> like, she's on the, um, on the airways. You also had Jenk Uger saying he got the talk. I mean, basically that he, right. this is when he left and went back to um, 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 Digong Turks. You even had Ed Schultz. I mean, Jesse Ventura, for example, they basically bought his show out to sit him on ice because of his position against the war. Donahue. And even now, and that goes to not just people who are basically given a political position, but people who are basically given analysis. Like right here, this is MSN.com. But analysts say the damage associated, and this article is basically making the point that Russia could have devastated Kiev and that the military um, and the people, what they're saying about it, is just wrong. This analyst didn't even want to give his name. <laughs> he didn't even want to give his name. The analyst says the damage associated with the contested ground war involving peer opponents shouldn't blind people to what is really happening. Quote, the analyst requested anonymity in order to speak um, about classified matters. It's not that he's speaking about classified matters. It's the point that he's saying he's pushing back against what they're saying. The heart of Kiev has barely been touched and almost all of the long range strikes have been aimed at military targets. In the capital, most observable, Kiev City, authorities say that there are 55 buildings that have been damaged, 222 people died in February 24th. It is a city of 2.8 million people. You can't even say that. Meaning this guy, McGregor, will get out there and do it. But McGregor had also to push back. He's probably not going to be allowed on certain shows on Fox. But just even going out and just saying, this is the reality of events. 
can't do it. Like that's stunning. And I don't get, I don't think people get the gravity of that. This inability in a democracy to basically make an argument that goes contrary to a very specific line. There's a reason that the First Amendment is the First Amendment. And it seems that that has been forgotten. And not even, you know, government pressure, just this government pressure that's being used or, or filtered through these kind of media arm or these kind of social media companies that have basically been the new um, commons. We don't own it anymore. How do we get it back? What should we do, Lee? Yeah, I mean, pe- people don't realize that when you ban it, eight years of a TV show on YouTube, it's essentially banning, it's essentially burning books. It's just the digital version of burning books. And, and people seem far less worried by YouTube, you know, deleting a channel than they uh, used to be when books were burned. So I, I think, yeah, people need to be furious about this. And, and like I said, we need to build up the alternatives there need to be platforms that are decentralized that can't be bought out by a corporation and just uh, deleted or destroyed. Um, you know, decentralized and uh, uncensored platforms. And we, we need to keep building those up and supporting those who are building those up and supporting the, the journalists who have been suppressed or, or censored. Uh, you know, I created my Patreon to try and move forward. Uh, Patreon.com slash Lee Camp and others have done similar. So Chris Hedges is on Substack now. And it's kind of on people, you know, people out there to unfortunately pay that $5 a month to make sure a lot of these great voices continue. Uh, I don't think it should be that way. I'd love for it not to be that way. I'd love for uh, Chris Hedges to have the, you know, number one show on MSNBC or something, but that'll never happen. We're not in that reality. We're in a reality where corporations, you know, it's called inverted totalitarianism. The the, the political philosopher termed the the fact that we are ruled by the, the anonymous corporate state. And they are not going to allow those kind of thoughts on their airwaves. It is propaganda for the corporate state. And so it's up to us kind of to to build up the alternatives and to support people as they are purged from the big tech platforms. And what's so interesting is I think if your show, for example, Redacted Tonight, which, as you said on your YouTube, funny thing is, is Redacted Tonight got redacted. Uh, (laughs) You know, which is, it's a shame. It truly is because it was a great show. My parents, my dad, I always have to say this, my dad is the biggest Lee Camp fan. When I came, when I first moved here, I brought my parents to the show and my dad was like as giddy as a schoolgirl. And mind you, my dad was a Trumper, loved Trump, but when he would turn on Lee's show, he loved it. And that's where I'm saying, like, it, it does make sense why the right, you know, because I think just like as you had noted earlier, that they're getting some truth bombs. And I think actually, if you were on the mainstream, you would probably have the world's biggest audience. It's just you're not promoting what Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and what they want, which is why it wouldn't work. But the other thing that's very, very scary for me now, Lee, and why I really, really feel for comedians is you have the slap heard around the world. You know, we talked about it before the break, so we didn't take up. Uh, that time for you, because again, we we all know it. And we've seen it thousands of times now. But you have it where somebody says a a joke that somebody doesn't like, and now it's just you can go up, slap them across the face. Fifteen minutes later, get a standing ovation and win an award. And like you know, your your personal friend Jimmy Dore said, this is now normalizing assaulting people for things that you don't like them saying. In particular, comedians, you've done stand up. I hope you go back on tour again. Um, but what did you make of it all, and and your thoughts on all of it? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty terrible. Uh, 
I'm a, I'm a fan of Chris Rock. I knew Chris Rock a little bit in, in New York. I'd see him at the clubs and we would chat and, uh, very, very nice guy. But, but I also was a fan of Will Smith's work and, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it is, it is so wrong. Um, and I think if, if like Will Smith had basically been ejected afterwards, we could all go, well, it was him, you know, out of line and they dealt with it. But instead, we now are reading that they asked him to leave and he said no. And they were like, okay. So, and, and I've heard of this stuff happening at comedy clubs, but that's not dealing with famous people. That, that's just dealing with, with randos. But I, I've heard of, you know, people assaulting comics or in one instance, a glass was thrown at the comic's head, shattered on the wall behind him. And the club just decided not to escort the person out. And it's completely wrong, obviously, because it does. It normalizes assaulting people for words they've said, for, uh, you know, uh, uh, making a joke that you, you weren't a big fan of. And guess what? You know, even for those of us who are, you know, spend our jokes punching up as opposed to those who spend punching down, like we can offend people easily. Like people can get offended at just about anything, any topic you have. Uh, could have someone out there who goes, oh, that kind of relates to me, so therefore I'm offended. And so the idea that you can hit a comedian for saying something that offended you is a terrible path to go on. One one aspect of it I haven't uh, heard talked about uh, enough, I think, is that obviously there's a lot of variables, a lot of things working in this. And I think because this was not uh, a white man or a white woman, people aren't talking that much about privilege or really wealth and the, and the privilege of immense wealth and, of course, fame as well. But I think when you are that wealthy and that famous, you really do have just armies of people that are kind of at your beck and call. They do what you want. They never question you. And so I think that is where Will Smith's head was at that point. No one ever, he, he kind of was thinking, no one ever speaks uh, ill of me or my wife to our faces. And so I'm going to assault the person that does. Because they live in a very place of a great privilege. Sure, they didn't start out that way. They may have started out poor. I'm, I'm not really sure. But where they've been for the past, you know, decades is immense privilege in America. Well, billionaires with immense fame. And so the, the, I think people aren't talking enough about, like, what set him off is that he's lived in a bubble of immense privilege to never have anything insulting said to him or his wife. I'm curious, from you, when you're doing comedy and you're saying a joke that you know is edgy, Meaning you're in a comedy club, you're on stage, you have this joke that you wrote out, it is magnificently funny, and yet you know it's going to be dancing on that line, which, you know, like you say, how do you know where the line until you cross it, right? What's going on in your head when you're doing something like that? Meaning Chris Rock was on that stage, he knew Will Smith was in that audience, he knew Jada Pickle was in that audience, he knew he was going in that direction. What, I can't, I know you can't necessarily indicate what he was thinking, but what do you think? And what do other comedians think when they are on stage making those edgy jokes like that? Yeah, I mean, I've tended towards what I view as edgy humor, which is a lot of the, the politically uh, minded and cultural commentary and, and making fun of the way our system is set up. Um, I have, haven't really gone towards the like, I'm going to make fun of you sitting in front of me. Oh, I see. For being you. And, and it hasn't been like, oh, because that guy might get up and punch me. It's hasn't been where my mind is like, oh, I want to make fun of this person sitting in front of me. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't great comedians that do that type of thing. But yeah, I'd say that the, the comedians that do that type of stuff, the crowd work where you, you know, 
I, I like a common one is to like look at a couple and say, you know, how so how did a guy who's a three end up dating a woman who's a ten or that kind of thing? And people laugh, but obviously someone ends up hurt. Right, <laughs> right, right. You, 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 you are you are walking on a line that that guy might get up and punch you. Like I've heard of comedians getting punched, and and uh, I think you know it obviously should not be normalized. Pretty much every time that's happened, the person has gotten kicked out of the club. So I think the key to this is not that it won't happen. The key is that we should not make this an okay response to being insulted. Now we have um, one of the things that I think too is. When you have this slap, and like you said, you know, it's, it's this celebrity privilege. But again, it, it's, it's this weird conspiracy, Lee, and I've been in this, this slap gate all week. Yeah, it's like crazy where they're talking about how, you know, she has alopecia and it was bringing out, you know, the whole thing about um, alopecia because nobody knew what it was until everybody's talking about it now. The Oscars were sponsored by sponsored by Pfizer and Binotech, and Pfizer's in trials right now for an alopecia drug. I mean, you've you've been among Hollywood yourself. You've been around these famous people, and it's kind of like you know. Again, I, I'm not asking you to comment on the spirit conspiracy unless you want to. <laughs> but my thing is, is it's like you're right. Like it is this culture of like you know celebrityism. But I mean, do these guys? I mean. Talk about like the, the the culture. I mean, you've been around it and you see it. I mean, how how could Pfizer not want to go up to Jada Pinkett Smith and be like, hey, you want to sponsor our alopecia drug? I mean, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> uh, I think that people can find a conspiracy. I mean, there are conspiracies in the world. People can find a conspiracy whatever they want to <laughs> because there are there are so many connections. I mean, think about. The, the amount of corporate America that's all interlinked that is somehow connected to Hollywood or the Oscars. It's got to be most of corporate America. You know, the Pentagon, obviously, uh, is hugely intertwined with Hollywood. And so no matter what happened on that stage, you could point to something and say, oh, well, so-and-so wet himself at the ceremony and has a, you know, incontinence drug. So, um, so you know, finding those connections is, is, is silly. I mean, in, in my, like in my watching of the clip, it took me about, you know, five seconds to realize it was real and it was not a joke. You could see the, you know, the pause after it happened of Chris Rock trying to register what the hell that was. Yeah. I mean, what a pro too. Yeah. He took it and kept going. An amazing pro. I mean, it, it, in many ways, it seems like an adult dealing with a child because the child had thrown a tantrum and the adult said, OK, well, we got to get on with the show. And and uh, what he did was really impressive to, to keep his composure after being slugged in the face and, and still uh, still present the next award. Um, but anyway, I, I, it, it, everything about it seems 100 percent real. I, I don't think any of it was even remotely pre-planned at all. I want to go into something that Farron said, and she was making the point about how, despite you being a lefty, and this is something I've noticed myself. I've had people send me emails on my channel and said, dude, I'm a right winger. I agree with 70% of what you say. And he's like, you know, this kind of conflict of conscience or something. Like, I have no idea what's going on. It's like an existential crisis. And the point that she's making, I think, is that when people are listening to you and you're pointing out, hey, these are real American concerns. These are things that affect you directly. And because they affect you directly, this is what I feel about it. This is what we should be focusing on. And those people look at that and say, yeah, we should be focusing on that. Why aren't we looking at this that directly pertains to my life, my family's life, and how I pursue my affairs in this country? 
And it gets to this notion of, okay, well, if you're doing that and people who are basically on the right look at you on some level and say, I agree with that, even if you get 10, 20%, what does it mean that these guys are not necessarily being part or they feel like they're not a part of the political system? Because ultimately, if they're following you like this and these guys think they're right wingers and yet they're saying, hey, I think people should have health care. That's not a right winger thing. How, meaning, how did these people get so left in the lurch where they didn't have or understand their own political identity and come into that identity by having contact with you or some of these other left-wing channels that basically are talking about real-world Like my phenomena. dad, who's a like, Lee Camp stan. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect example. I think it speaks to how the, the terminology, and this is, this is by design, this is not an accident, but the terminology we use to define people politically in our country is just essentially incorrect, borderline meaningless. I mean, when you say someone is a Democrat and someone is a Republican, if you look at Congress, they agree on 80, 90 percent of the structural issues of this country. So it really is only a, a hair's width of difference uh, on, you know, they agree right now on everything our U.S. military is doing, which is 60 percent of our discretionary funding. So that means they agree on 60 percent of the discretionary funding. They agree on Wall Street. They agree, essentially, whether in words or in actions, on environmental destruction to the point of no return. They uh, agree, if you go down the list, on just about everything, unfettered capitalist destruction of the world, even if they, some of them may speak out, some of the Democrats may say, oh, no, I'm against that. They're not really, not in their behavior. So when you have these two, these two parties that are essentially one party, people on, quote, unquote, both sides find themselves Wow, I agree with someone who's on the you know far left. I'd say that you know probably you know Ron Paul back when he was running for president probably said more things I agree with as a as a leftist than your average Democrat. Uh, and and it goes to how these terms don't mean anything anymore. We should we should stop defining ourselves with a giant label on our forehead as you know I am this one word, and instead look at issue by issue. Oh, you're for healthcare. All right, I'm for healthcare too. Let's all fight to get healthcare. Like, it should be done like that, because these, these rulers, these leaders, these ruling elites, they don't actually represent us. And we need to stop pretending like we're in their team when they're not doing anything uh, for, to actually get and, and secure the, the future that most people in this country want. Lee, Will Smith is a vessel of love. I think you're a vessel of truth. What are you working on, and where can people find you and support you, my friend? Because... Um, they, I, I guarantee you many are, are going to after this. And my question, are you going to go back on tour? <laughs> uh, in terms of the tour, I, I'm, you know, working on doing some more live shows, but that's not my, my push right now. My, my big push is to try and uh, recreate something that, that feels a little like Redacted Tonight. It won't be the big studio with all the correspondence and everything, but at least uh, it'll have the same, you know, passion and topics and comedy as, as Redacted Tonight. Um, and people can follow my stuff at patreon.com slash Lee Camp. I put all my stuff up there and I've been doing exclusive videos and interviewing Chris Hedges and Scott Ritter and Abby Martin and stuff like that. So, you know, hopefully if I can get enough support that way, then I can recreate that, that feel of Redacted Tonight in a, in a new space. We need Redacted back for sure. Lee, great to hear your voice. Thank you, Lee. Absolutely appreciate you coming on. Um, the voice that you guys were listening to is Lee Camp, host, head writer of Redacted Tonight for eight years. Now you can follow his work on patreon.com slash Lee Camp. You guys are listening to Thoughtlines. Thomas, 
Franzak. We'll be taking your calls. The number is 202-521-1320. We'll be back in a moment. We love you, Lee. Call lines. Fault lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host, Farron Franzak. Hey, girl. We're coming to the end of an amazing show. Really good guest for today. And let's do this. We're going to take your calls. The number is 202-521-1320. That is 202-521-1320. We have a caller on the line. We have Mark from New York. Mark, what's going on, my man? You've good been waiting morning. for a while. How are you doing this morning? Good, good, good morning, uh, Aaron and, and Jamal. Great show. I, I just want to tag on to what Lee said, and most again, more profound and reminder was that it's equivalent to book burning when you destroy these records of YouTube through these giant uh, tech companies. He's absolutely right. That was profound, absolutely on point with that. Um, I wanted to just touch on briefly what was I was hinting at yesterday, or try to get to, and I'll be brief as I can. Um, the, the notion that uh, the oligarch are pretty much not patriotic in this country, and they don't really concern themselves with the interests. So, Fran, Farron, as far as you're concerned, and, 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 and many of our Americans about, well, why aren't we focusing on these other issues? Because basically they're doing a mop-up. They're essentially recognizing the changing dynamics of empire and the fact that the dollar is overextended and it will mean a change in their money. Most of us can't play in crypto. So they're going to gather up all the assets in the, in, around this country and make you will own nothing and you'll be happy, right? Heard that cliche. The World Economic Forum said that. You will own nothing and you will be happy. And the rich and the oligarchs, particularly in this empire, and this nation of national borders, have, have exactly that agenda at play. Mm-hmm. We're going to a situation where we will get desperate but we must be able to chew gum and walk at the same time because all of those issues, post-COVID revealed a lot of things, and so does Ukraine. And in the bottom line is they don't give a damn about us. And what we've got to realize is this party, partisan politics. Yeah, I can agree with you on this issue, as Ralph Nader has said, and I can agree with you, disagree with this issue. But we need to at least survive a nuclear holocaust so we can have this conversation and try to build coalitions for the interest of us continuing as a species. Mm-hmm. That's why, on the other hand, we can't do uh, the pipeline because we still have the ecological challenges and economists will make that existential thought. That is not. We are talking about will we survive 30, uh, 2030 and our children? That is very real, and that's why I get passionate. You asked me about the preacher. No, I get passionate with the thought about what does it mean to our children? Have we been good stewards? No, we haven't. Again, one in six kids every night goes to bed hungry in this country, and nobody cares, but God forbid, Ukraine, God forbid. I'll leave it there. Yes, thank you. Mark in New York, thank you so much. And you know what? You talked about book burning. You even just said here, you said your channel got shut down for a month, and you were saying how like the overarching umbrella it's it's a company that says that it's a company that plays judge and jury. You have no control. Unaccountable. You know, I mean, you basically have tied yourself. I mean, because for the longest time, YouTubers had this mindset of I do my show. Um, there's the commercials. YouTube handles it at all. So I am free and clear, meaning I am my own employer, et cetera. And then you get the situation where YouTube makes a choice or whim and shuts your channel down. It is unaccountable. 
And it's this overarching thing that has basically made a choice to in your career in this particular moment. And to their point, book burning. I mean, you worked for eight years, eight years and at a whim up in smoke. And folks, let me tell you, I took a comedy writing class because when I did stuff at Second City, my, my sister was like my writer. Yeah. And, and she, like I said, her humor is way better than mine if you think I'm funny. But that comedic writing is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Because again, in your head, you have... Is this person gonna get offended? What is this? What are these people gonna say? Is it too much for this? Is it too? Because you have all of these arrows coming at you, and when you're still going out there and being funny, like what Lee does, and to do that day in and day out for eight years, and then just sorry, redacted. You have been redacted. You know, so it's a shame. Tarif in New Orleans. Tarif, how are you this morning? Thank y'all for taking my call. I'm doing pretty good. First, I like to say free Julian Assange. I have three quick comments. The first comment is. Imran Khan out of Pakistan is um, reports that a coup attempt is trying to um, take him out because he supports Russia and China. Yep. Yeah, we talked about that yesterday with um, Mohammed Morandi. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're trying to get rid of that man. All right. Move to my second one. I have another one after this. Um, it's reports that a letter or some information was sent to British diplomats saying that Ukraine was not going to abide by the Geneva Convention. And um, you know, people trying to verify the source, if it's true or not, because if, if it's true, then that's going to make the Russian population very upset. They're going to basically want revenge because you got to abide by the Geneva uh, Convention in wartime. My second comment is dealing with Maripool. It's surrounded, and they've been having attempts. Ukraine has been sending, sent in eight helicopters so far to, to pick up People from the surrounding city. They're being shut down. Time they try. Yeah, exactly. So people is wondering why are they so desperate trying to move people from out that city, knowing that it's a lost cause. So it must be the speculation is they might have NATO special forces might be inside that city. If they get caught by the Russians, then the Russians gonna break it up at the UN. To be clear about that, we don't know that. I mean, that's a. a that is a deal that is profound. If that is true, we don't know that. We definitely don't know that. And we, like, that is hard to even speculate on. Because that would mean that NATO is implicated in regards to getting involved in Ukraine in a way that is more direct than just weapons and everything else, which, mind you, is being involved in Ukraine. But in implicating themselves into this war um, in a way that is, it will be catastrophic in regards to its consequences. We don't know that. That needs to be confirmed. So, but Tarif, thank you for bringing it up. I mean, look, it, there's nothing wrong. Like it's a fog of war, right? And so it's like we're trying to sift through and figure out what's more likely to be true, what is true, et cetera, et cetera. And Tarif, you've always been one of those guys that have basically been bringing us the news on the bleeding edge. So, dude, thank you always. Um, I think those that was our last caller, if I am not mistaken. Let me make sure. What? We're not popular today. They're just so intently listening, you know? We've been bringing on great guests, having great conversation. You know, it's been rock solid. We've been near 500 today. And mm -hmm. for the last several days, we've hit well over 500. And I'm, I'm going to say, too, Larry Fine brought a, up a great point with comedy. The reason why the right and the left, they're coming together on one thing. We don't want to die. <laughs> uh, that's a good cause to have. Let's not die. <laughs> Let's not off ourselves. Exactly. Um, look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas, Franza, I want to thank our engineer. I want to thank our producer. I want to thank all of you. I want to thank you. Yes, when we say you help make this show possible, it is absolutely and entirely true. You guys have a phenomenal, awesome weekend. 
And as always, folks, may the good news be yours. Fault lines. 